Leading Britain's conversation. You're listening to a podcast of The Steve Allen Show from LBC. Morning, every Wednesday, 26th of July. It's nice to have your uh, company, to have your company nice. It's all gone a bit pear-shaped, hasn't it? As if it hadn't gone pear-shaped uh, before for poor Charlie Gard's parents who've now gone back to court to uh, try and say that they want him to go back home uh, so he can die in their home. And the hospital, Great Ormond Street, have said, well, you can't get his bed through their door. It's not wide enough. So they've obviously been out there and had a sortie. Also, he's going to need six nurses with him and better that they're at the hospital. Then they've suggested maybe a hospice. I mean, it just really is turning something. They've said, you know, had they not dragged their heels... They're, they're being a bit unfair to Great Ormond Street Hospital, who must be sort of thinking to themselves, we need to check these sort of cases again, because this is this has actually involved death threats to members of staff who are there to save children's lives. OK, so every so often, a complete rarity, we lose a child. But there's no need for people to turn. Really is quite bad. Uh, also, 16 people left trapped on the Alton Towers ride. Not being much luck recently, are they? Uh, Jason Manford records an album. Well, they're all doing it. Bradley Walsh has done one. And so Jason thinks he should do one as well. There's also some peculiar creature in the paper today who thinks that he's going to spend your money. He's on benefits because he's got depression. Uh, He's never worked, uh, but he wants to be a David Beckham lookalike. So he's having surgery. Unfortunately, he doesn't bear any resemblance to David Beckham at all. He's going to spend... They say he's spent £20,000 so far of your money. He's proudly telling you it's your money that he's spending. He's going to go to Poland and have this cosmetic surgery. Why do people not realise that you just can't go in there and have surgery to make you look like somebody? Look at that that equally sad, lonely figure of um, of the one who thinks he looks like Ken from Ken and Barbie. Doesn't look anything like him. Just looks like some sad creature who's got a bit lost in the cosmetic surgery world. Uh, 60 years as the nation's grandmother, but how much has she paid... Yes, you won't believe this one when I tell you. And uh, they haven't announced it, but I'm here to tell you Daniel Craig will be the next James Bond. There's no other way around it, is he? He's he's the best James Bond. He looks right, he's fantastic, and everybody loves him. Also, the spiteful couple who face losing their home after using a spike gate to block off a neighbour's metre. It's a classic case of falling out with your neighbours and screwing it up completely. Uh, This particular couple have been quite ghastly, and their son said it looks likely because of court costs they're going to lose their home. Good. Good. What they've done is, because they fell out with their next door neighbour, there is an alley that leads down between the two houses. And down there is the meter, water meter and gas meter. And they put a gate across there with spikes on the top to stop the neighbour getting to it to read the meter. They're quite revolting. They really are. Honestly, seriously, it's, it's seriously bad. And it's now got so out of hand that it's gone to court. They've lost... Uh, There were various things against them and one went through and one didn't go through. Either way, don't ever argue with your neighbours or if you do, make sure you try and sort it out, you know, at at some point before it gets to the court case. Because court case is the thing that can absolutely destroy it and that's when you start racking up money. Uh, The war reporter Kate Aidey's fury at jobs for celebs. I don't know, I always thought Kate Aidey probably thought she was a bit of a celeb, even though she probably doesn't see herself as a celebrity. But the very fact she's a war reporter makes her some sort of celebrity because she's been invited onto programmes to talk about her work and stuff like that. So that makes her a celebrity. But she doesn't like the idea that uh, that the BBC and other places employ celebrities. I'm not wild about it, but if they contribute to a programme, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Also, the winners of the TV reality show said to get millions in endorsements. The front page of The Sun this morning is uh, Love Island champions Amber and Kem. 
who've said that they have had sex, secret sex. They've romped in a pool under a blow-up turtle, lust on the settee in the middle of the day. They even tried it in the wardrobe. It's just a bit sad, isn't it? Two desperately sad, attention-seeking has-beens who have sex on the television. As I say, go to any brothel any night and uh, you'll find people doing exactly the same for about 50 quid. So uh, there they are. And they're set to make millions. Doing what? Endorsements, they say. Endorsing what? Blow-up turtles. Wardrobes. I can't think of anything else, actually. Uh, or sort of anything with a battery in it. What else are they going to get them to endorse? You're not going to get them to do yoghurt, are you, or anything like that? Alice Cooper, Alice Cooper, school's out for summer, has traced a £7.5 million Andy Warhol original that he forgot about. Oh, that's a nice thing, isn't it? What have you done? Forgotten about an Andy Warhol original. What's it worth? £7.5 million. Whew. Wouldn't you just love it if you found something like that? I was saying to my driver this morning, we were talking about how bad it is now with sort of people getting knifed on the streets and things thrown in people's faces and uh, tattoos. In fact, we seem to cover the whole gamut of things. He hasn't got any tattoos and I haven't got any tattoos. We both appear to have been brought up, you know, fairly well because uh, his parents probably wouldn't have approved and my parents wouldn't have approved. But I was asking the question, what happens to all these kids who go out and commit these crimes? Where they go? Do you think they actually come from a family? Or do they go home to just a parent? I suspect it's probably a parent. Because every time somebody dies in a knife attack in London, and we've had a couple of kids in the news who've been sprayed with acid, uh, it's always, you know, the parents say, oh, but they were really nice people and lovely and all. And you think, well, obviously not. They were obviously running with the wrong pack. So it's, um, it's a bit of a problem out there. And it's getting worse. Although over in Oxford, isn't it, they're fining tramps two and a half thousand quid for leaving their rubbish in doorways. God, want to come round our way, we'd make a fortune. They don't have two and a half thousand pounds. Where are they supposed to get that from? If you made it 50 quid, it'd be different. But uh, it's, it's the rubbish that they leave in doorways. And uh, it's all over the place in Twickenham. We seem to have encouraged local drunks because they thieve from shops. They go in there and they thieve their booze. Uh, from shops and sit there drinking it, you know, being abusive to people. I don't really know why the police can't do anything about it, but I don't think they can. I think it's a civil a civil problem. Anyway, we take all your texts and emails on the programme this morning. Not just at the moment, but soon. Hold on. <coughs> <coughs> Went down the wrong hole. How many times have you heard that? How many times have you heard that? You know, you take a drink of something... And all of a sudden, you, and people always say it goes down the wrong hole. You think, well, how many holes in your throat have you got? It can only have gone down the right one. But I think it sort of goes down and then starts coming back up again. Uh, also, the deck chairs are free. I have never sat in a deck chair on the prom, but I would love to do it. I think it's going to be part of my, my uh, wish list to do things like that. To sit in a deck chair on the prom when I get to that age, which I think is probably about now. I just go and sit in a deck chair and look out to see. And then every so often somebody brings you a cup of tea. That's all I want, a nice cup of tea. I don't want any booze. I've had booze before, but uh, booze and sunshine don't really go together. So a nice cup of tea and maybe a biscuit, like a bourbon. What are you doing? What are you doing next door? What is that? Is that your past in your mouth? You're doing an impression of something. I mean, I don't know. What is it? Am I supposed to guess what this is? I was singing songs earlier on to him. Not to him, but sort of, and he's going, what, what, what are you doing? I said, I'm singing. I said, you can join in if you want. He said, I don't want to join in. And I thought, you know, I thought, you know, if you're mates, that's what you do, isn't it? You join in with the with the songs that I was singing. <laughs> he didn't like any of the songs. I was singing that nice one, you know, I am, you are, we are Australian, which was sung by the Seekers with Judith Durham. He didn't want to join in with that one either. I thought he'd have wanted to. But apparently, what can you expect from a man who's never used gears in a car? One, two, three, four, and then there's the R letter. 
which presumably stands for running or something like that. They're all automatic cars in Australia. Oh, wait a minute, why can't I hear you properly? Well, you're, say it again. Oh, wait a minute, that's why I've got the headphones around the wrong way. I've got new headphones this morning, incidentally. I thought I'd meant that's better, that's better. I can hear you, sadly, yes, sadly I can hear you. There you go, it's almost like voices from the other side, isn't it? It's like, ooh, I am, you are, we are Australian. You think you'd be quite sort of. Uh, we were talking about Australian things the other day, actually, and we sort of came because we've got a lot of Australians who listen to this program. They're obviously homesick, and uh, I'm a, I'm a little bit of home for them, you know. Good day, and uh, the Savo. I think it's going to rain really quite badly. It's going to be like so. Although I keep telling you that, and every day we seem to get through it, don't we? And uh, I was going to have an interview today, then that got cancelled at the last minute. So we, we sort of got a couple of other things in reserve. It's always the last minute, you know, just when the, the producer writes to me and he goes, right, this is happening tomorrow. Then an hour later he comes and goes, they can't do it. This, somebody's just pulled out of this because they're off filming or doing something else. And it's a never-ending quest to get as many interviews in the can as we possibly can. Uh, Daisy's looking out for Lou. This is Daisy Lowe looking out for Louise Redknapp. Slightly peculiar, isn't it? Doesn't she have any other friends? Obviously not. Uh, Katie Price gets another ghastly makeover and has to talk about it on television. I'm sure she thinks that Loose Women is all about her. It's either that or the other ghastly columnist also thinks it's about her as well. Uh, Milk can be branded inhumane. And the UK's all-time top 20 works of art. And who's number one? Banksy. Banksy's number one. I'm sure we had a Banksy around the back of our last building. I'm sure there was a Banksy on the wall. It was a pussycat. And uh, I'm convinced it was Banksy. Because what they do now is they sort of they, they sort of chisel them out of the walls and take them away. Because they're worth a lot of money. I don't know why they're worth a lot of money. I suppose because they just are. But nobody knows what he looks like. But then there have been various pictures in the newspapers of what they think Banksy looks like. Because somebody must know, mustn't they? He goes around late at night spray painting and everything else. I'd happily go around and shoot the, um, the people who do graffiti. And it's a never-ending problem. Sorry? No, no, we don't condone violence, but it's, it's the people who decide that they're going to graffitiise trains and things like that. So a train pulls into the platform and it's covered with this mindless, childish scribble. Down at Richmond Station, as you're going into or coming out, depending on which side of the uh, platform you happen to be, uh, they graffiti on a regular basis. And yet they must be climbing over and jumping the tracks to get there because they keep repainting the wall. Why don't they just put cameras on it and catch the people at night and then lock them up? It can't be that difficult because it must be costing a fortune. Because what they do is they go in one night, they do the outline of the sketch, then they go back the next night. Well, then just paint it all over again for them. Send somebody down there at night time with a dog and a night vision and then just wait till they turn up and set the dog on them. Why not? Like the police do. Like the police do. And then go, we've caught you. You're, you're defacing railway property. It goes on all the time. Who are these idiots? They put their little moniker on things. They turn out to be three sandwiches short of a picnic, it has to be said. Uh, also, the wolf shot dead in a zoo escape. It escaped from a zoo. They think it jumped the uh, the railings or the uh, the barbed wire thing. Got out was the other side, so they had to shoot it. Because you don't really know, do you? And I was quite right yesterday. Remember I told you that the picture uh, of all these dead foxes in a road purporting to come from that ex-footballer, whose name I now can't remember... And, uh, and then I said, no, they, they were fake. They, there wouldn't be a hundred foxes you could kill in a night because you don't get loads and loads of foxes. You wouldn't get a hundred foxes in one area. They'd be spread out. So we didn't believe that. We thought that was fake. And somebody said, you're absolutely right. So that was good news. And eight penguins were savaged to death at Chessington World of Adventure by a fox. I've never heard of them attacking penguins, but I suppose if it's a hungry fox and he sees penguins in there and some of them were little penguins, then they get sat. I thought they actually put them away. 
at night into their own little house. Uh, Charlie Gard's mother, Connie, has said, we promised Charlie every day we would take him home. I don't, you know, perhaps they just said that to Charlie, who is deaf, blind and, uh, and is brain dead as well. Uh, and of course, it all it all stems back to the fact that Great Ormond Street have been saying all along in the Charlie Gard case that um, that it's all, you know, they, they've known for ages that Charlie was not going to make it. And the parents have said that they put obstacles in the way. Well, they just didn't. Even the uh, the justice, Mr. Justice Francis, said, gosh, are doing everything that they can. And they are. But now the parents, because they haven't got their own way. And because it turned out the neurosurgeon didn't have the faintest idea. He was pronouncing that he could do work on a child he'd never seen, never met, never seen the medical records, never examined him, nothing at all. He just gave them this old baloney, which turned out to be baloney, and gave them false hope. This man said he can cure our son. We want to take him to America. Well, you can't. You can't because he's not going to make it. And they don't think he's going to make it as far as the hospice. And it's going to take loads and loads of nurses. Do we really have enough nurses do you know there were 87,000 jobs that came up in the NHS in the first few months of this year? That's how many job vacancies there were. 87,000. Good God. I don't, I mean, as what? I've got no idea. But, you know, to, to, to hear what all these people have been saying about Charlie Gard, uh, the only people who know it, uh, exactly what his state is, are the people who are with him 24 hours a day. And they've got all sorts of people who've pronounced on everything. This little boy, I'm afraid, is going to die. Uh, where he dies, I suppose, comes down to the court. If they say he shouldn't be moved, he should be where he is, then the parents just have to stay there. I don't know if he's in a private ward or anything. I really don't know. But uh, either way, this is this is now turned into another charade in court, I'm afraid. And this sort of attack on Great Ormond Street, who've done their, their level best from the beginning. They've said exactly what it was that he's got. It's very rare. And then the parents, of course, clutching at straws... I sort of go, well, this man says he can do this, and it turned out he couldn't, so that was false hope. And then the so-called evangelical preacher, who turns up spouting another load of old nonsense, and uh, even with the power of prayer, he couldn't do anything either. So, as I say, it's just given them, you know, little lifelines, which have gradually been taken away from them. It's not nice, is it? And I don't know what will happen, whether or not Charlie will make it to his first birthday... Because you can guarantee if they do it after his first, first birthday, the parents will be complaining that you, you, you can't win on this case. It's a no-win case at all. It's a case of a, of a small child who is technically dead, but they're keeping alive, uh, who is literally just clinging on for the next few days. I don't know how it's going to work. They don't know how it's going to work. I don't think anybody knows, apart from the hospital, who say that if we disconnect him, then he will die very quickly. But they want him at home. Why? He's been at Great Ormond Street for God knows how many months. Why not leave him where he is? Makes far more sense, doesn't it? Familiar surroundings, as opposed to surroundings, you know, that, that aren't much good to him. And then you've got eight nurses or six nurses who'll be living in the house. Where are they supposed to be staying? The cost of this is astronomical. Let him stay where he's most comfortable. Don't start shunting him around everywhere, please. But again, not our decision. That's somebody else of a higher authority who has to make a decision like that. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Pretty interesting. I was reading in the paper the other day, you know, you always think, you know, people talk about knife crime and everything else and how, how dangerous it is. And there was a nurse who's recently been convicted of killing some patients in her care. What did she kill them with? Insulin. Insulin. It's been used in, in a lot of murder cases. Insta I know, I find it quite bizarre as well. And apparently the one thing that they do is they inject people between the toes. 
you know, between the big toe and the next toe down, which is called the next toe down, because that's the last place that people look. Now they do look for that particular area to see if there's a little sort of mark there, because insulin, unless you're supposed to be on insulin, can kill you. So keeps me alive could kill the producer. It's bizarre, isn't it, that they give you enough to kill a small army. And uh, and yet all I'm all I was worrying about this morning was tattoos that hurt. You know, because it's got a little needle. And it goes, but I suppose if you're used to inject, I mean, I'd, I'd like to have a tattoo, not because I want a tattoo, but to see just how much the pain is. You know, when people say it hurts because I inject every day, I don't kind of think about it. Sometimes putting the needle in hurts. Sometimes it doesn't hurt. It's sort of it's very much sort of hit and miss. Or in my case, it's more more miss than hit. And and so people who have a an, um, a, a tattoo done, it's quite it's a series of pulsating needles, isn't it? And I wonder really how much that would hurt. I'd like to try it to see if it would really hurt, or if because I inject, I'm used to that kind of pain. I suppose if if you're not used to injecting, you wouldn't be used to having you know anything like that at all. I only, th- I only thought about that the other day, actually. I was thinking, perhaps I'll try it. And then having had the long chat with uh, with William, my driver, this morning, I decided that, uh, no, tattoos are not for me. I think you get to a certain age and it looks ridiculous. And I said, all these kids now, you know, the 22, 23-year-olds from Love Island and where else, who've got tattoos all the way up their neck and under their chins, they're going to look so ridiculous in a few years' time. They're going to look like ace trailer trash. Who is going to take anybody on? When they come to finally... finally Finding a job, which I think is quite rare in many of their cases, who's going to take them on? You know, would you want? Oh, I got a, a free, um, a free coffee in Starbucks the other day. I can't remember if I told you about the Starbucks thing. Anyway, so I go in there, and they seemed every so often in Starbucks, which really annoys me. They change the staff, and so you end up with sort of different people who don't know what you drink, even though you go in there every day. So the same with all the coffee shops, Costa and Nero's, all the rest of it. And so because I go to the same one every day. Uh, I expect them to know what I drink. If they then change the staff, they don't know what you drink. And I have the same every day. I have a grande, extra, extra dry cappuccino with an extra shot. Now, extra, extra dry means little tiny bit of milk, foam. OK, so it's it's basically an espresso, but with a with milk in it. But it's it's frothy milk. So I order it. And it's somebody new, and the bloke who's doing it has been there before, but he's got slight attitude. Slight attitude. So the he then starts arguing. There's a woman in front of me, and she's ordered, I think, um, one of these specialist milk things. What do they call the specialist milk? They do skinny milk, fat milk, soya milk. That's right, soya. So she had a soya milk coffee with so-and-so, and he said, I don't know. Anyway, so he said to the girl who'd who'd taken the order. What's this? And she said, well, that's, you can have that. And he said, no, you can't. So she said, yes, you can. So I thought, bored already. So anyway, uh, then he gets my drink. So I'm sort of standing there and he gives the woman her soya drink and all the rest of it. And she's having it in. So she gets a china cup. I get the cardboard. And so he goes, uh, uh, extra, extra dry, extra shot coffee. So I pick it up and it weighs a tonne because it's milk. I've basically got a latte with an extra shot of coffee, which is wrong. So I said, no, it's extra, extra dry. You know, and what what they do then, as opposed to, you know, saving it and give it to somebody else, they throw it away. So obviously they, they couldn't go less. So he, he throws it away. And there's no sort of, uh, oh, sorry. Because they're supposed to know what extra, extra dry is. It's in the manual. It's foam. That's what you're supposed to do. You whisk up the foam and you do spoonfuls of, uh, hello, you do spoonfuls of foam and over Nice bit of pop it, and um, and so he so he he does this drink, and so I said no, I said it's extra extra dry. So we get a little, 
And he throws it away and he starts making it again. And so he then, he then goes from bad to worse because he then uh, goes uh, extra, extra uh, dry cappuccino, extra shot, soya milk. So I go, not soya milk. He goes, yes, soya milk. I go, no, not soya milk. But this time I've been standing there for about eight minutes. I'm a bit bored with the whole procedure. And so they then have to get the original cup because he was convinced that he was right. And of course, it doesn't say soy milk because I don't drink soy milk. So uh, then he, he kind of gives up on that one. So the girl makes my, uh, my coffee. And then the other girl comes out and gives me a little thing for a free drink. You know, which, to be honest with you, should have been a week's free drinks because by this time there's nobody else in there apart from me. I'm the only one still waiting for the, one of the simplest drinks that you could ever actually have. And uh, so at least I get a free free drink. But it, it took ages to get round to it. Why it's so complicated, I don't know. And why people have attitude. They're only making a cup of coffee. You know, I'm just standing in there. I'm paying, you know, I'm, I'm the one paying the £2.70 or whatever it is now, £2.60, £2.70 for a cup of coffee. But I like the idea that they, it just goes to prove that if you're not satisfied, and it's especially printed card, if you're not, we're sorry you weren't satisfied with your experience, Dave, want you to be happy, blah, blah, blah. Because uh, we discovered the other day happiness is having a cleaner. And to be honest with you, I'm not really that bothered. I think, I think cleaners, you know. Hmm. A friend of mine stayed in a hotel in Glasgow the other day. Um, and he had the room cleaned. And the cleaner stole something from the room. They had to call the police in and everything. From a well-known hotel. I can't tell you what, which one it is because it's going to go through. And, um, and he, he was furious. The, the hotel's excuse was that the cleaner didn't speak much English. What that's got to do with thieving something, I've got no idea. But anyway, it does happen, as you can well imagine. Steve, imagine David Beckham at 80 with all his tattoos. He's going to be wrinkled and full of body tats, says Colin. Oh, they're going to look ghastly. Ghastly. I mean, you know, she, she's got them on her legs. Not a lot you can do about that, is there, really? It's just, it's so trailer trash. You know, can you see, you know, I'm, I'm trying to work out, actually, which Hollywood stars would have had sort of tattoos. Probably those who'd been in the Navy. Uh, Peter says, I'm not a fan of loose women. Loose women. No, I mean, it's all right. Bits of it are OK. Bits of it are good. And then there's other bits where it turns out to be the, the low-level Z-list people who are the attention seekers. You know, but they don't know because they're, they're a bit dumb. They don't know that they're being attention seeking, you know, when they talk about certain aspects of their life. And Katie Price, unfortunately, she doesn't really contribute anything to the programme because she doesn't know about anything. She can only talk about her own life because that's the only thing she's obsessed with. It's a shame. It's a shame because you want her to be able to talk about other things, but she's not bright enough. She can't, uh, can't do anything. Uh, also, uh, who's this? Oh, it's Casey Batchelor. Good God, you're not still touting yourself around, are you? Apparently, she's uh, reinventing herself as a yoga instructor. She's been on a three-week course in Spain for four grand. Oh, that qualifies you, does it, dear? Three-week course and you're now a qualified yoga instructor from some place in Spain, which has charged you four grand. Hilarious. No other work. No other work. But uh, she says, my boyfriend loves it when I do yoga in a crop top and tiny shorts. And uh, you're getting older by the day, though, aren't you, dear? It's not, it's not happening for you at the moment. I think it's all sort of finished up. Uh, also, Kem and Amber's only interview uh, being done by Dan Wooten. Good God, he actually gets out and does some work occasionally, does he? He normally just does press releases. But uh, I hope he did do the interview, didn't get somebody else to do it, and he puts his name to it. Because I was, I was sort of quickly looking through and trying to find a picture of Dan Wooten uh, with either Kem or Am and nothing. Nothing at all, so I'm not too sure about that. They visited the son's office and um, no, no sign of Dan Wooten at all. So perhaps he got one of his minions to do the interview and he puts his name on it. It's happened before. It happens all the time, doesn't it? Uh, parents get 24 hours to find a doctor so he can leave. 
let Charlie die at home. Why? The hospital have been looking after him for all these best part of eight months. Why not leave him where he is? Isn't that kinder? Isn't that kinder? We're supposed to start shunting this poor little child around? I fear that there's going to be some awful backlashes coming with this case. I don't know why. Just got this horrible feeling of foreboding. And I'm generally not wrong. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Poor old Philip Green's daughter, honestly, she's a bit of a loser. Bit of a loser here. And uh, she's now going out with the worst boyfriend yet. Uh, This man uh, called Meeks is a felon. He's been a felon since the age of uh, 18. He served two years for robbery and corporal injury. Uh, that was in 2002. 2005, he got 71 days jail for theft, resisting arrest, forgery and identity theft, caught stealing from a sports shop, threatened to assault the security guard, then claimed he was his brother. 2007, fined 193 quid for negligent driving. And then 2014, two years jail for firearms charges and street terrorism. He's quite clearly a wrong'un but he's convinced her that he's interested in her. It doesn't take much to convince her when you look at poor old Chloe Green's exes. Her dad must be delighted. First of all, Spencer Matthews, who she went out with for about a month and a bit. Uh, he says he's slept with a thousand women. Shouldn't imagine she probably emerged with any sort of great uh, sort of, you know, uh, glory. Uh, Ollie Locke she went out with. Bit of a bit of a no mark there, isn't it? Ollie Locke, what, the camp one? The one who's now gay, apparently. Oh, dear. Obviously, that can't have gone very far. Aston Merigold... And uh, she met him on the on the clubs. He was with JLS. He was the one who used to sing, She'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. Because he used to dress up as a chef, didn't he? Jermaine Defoe, they larked around uh, after he was dumped by Alexandra Burke for cheating. And she went out with Mark Antony. Uh, that's J-Lo's ex-husband, a dad of six. And then Robert, uh, uh, Robert Cavalli who's the son of fashion designer Roberto Cavalli. So she's got a bit of a track record. I mean, the only, th- the only reason that she's attractive to people is her dad's stinking rich. And to go out with a bloke whose uh, main occupation is criminality is fantastic. It's small wonder that the father is absolutely horrified. Small, he's, because he's probably worried in case they get married and she'll lose... I mean, I disinherit her immediately. <laughs> it's hilarious, isn't it? It's always people from the wrong side of town. I remember there was a very rich woman some years ago. Very, very rich. Super-duper house. I could tell you which house it is on the Thames, but I, I won't bother. And uh, who did she have a fling with and then got him to move in, having ditched the husband? The flower seller from Earl's Court. The bloke selling flowers off a barra. You know, so, yeah, get your daffs here. What? We like that. We like that kind of thing. And so she took up with him. As far as I know, they're still together. Still together. Uh, Macaulay Culkin, um, he seems to have hardly changed. There's a picture of Macaulay, uh, Macaulay Culkin in the film. 27 years since Kevin McAllister defended his house in Home Alone. But um, he's, uh, he's, he's gained his looks back. He went through a phase of being all a bit sort of hippified, long hair and all the rest of it. And now he looks fantastic. Fantastic. Difficult, though, isn't it, really? I can't remember if Macaulay Culkin took his parents to court or somebody took their parents to court because they weren't getting enough um, enough money. Uh, their, their money had gone into different accounts. Ben Haynow, the X Factor champion, joined me at Bizarre Headquarters yesterday. This is, this is Dan Wooten, the man who's more interested in promoting himself than anybody else. It's a bit tedious, actually, to watch these people on the television, especially when they're not very good at it. If they were really good at it, you could understand, but that's why they're doing, you know, columns in papers. It's a lot easier. Uh, what else do we have here? Um, oh, there's a queer militia. Queer militia in the paper today. These faggots kill fascists. Uh, it's the gay fighters. An armed militia of gay men are fighting homophobia, homophobic ISIS in Syria with a banner proclaiming, these faggots kill fascists. 
unbelievably exciting. I think that's great. Because you know what? Because you know mo- most of ISIS, they're all swingy roundabout. They really are. They're all over the place. They're mainly paedophiles. Mainly paedophiles. The Queer Insurrection and Liberation Army has an AK-47 on its pink background as its logo. Members wearing pink and blue headscarves posed with a, a rainbow flag in Raga this week as they displayed their banner. Because... Uh, ISIS jihadists have executed hundreds of homosexuals, even though there are hundreds of homosexuals within ISIS. We discovered a short while ago that one of their chief commanders is a paedophile having an affair with a 15-year-old boy. What did they do? They just moved him away from from the boy so he could go and abuse other boys. They think that's quite normal. Uh, But if they find somebody who is an open gay person, they generally kill them by throwing them off the top of buildings, mainly because they're too worried as they go down, the person goes, and by the way, I slept with that ISIS person. So the queer militia, these faggots kill fascists. It's Stonewall all over again, all over again. I like the idea that people fight back. I quite like the idea as well, that sort of people think, oh, sorry, if you're a faggot over there, you wouldn't be doing anything like that. I think they would be. I think they would be. Uh, Get yourself a Tassimo coffee maker, then you can drink it in your Uber as you go into the studio, says Cheryl. I've never been in an Uber in my life, and I'm suing you, so expect a writ in the post. I've never taken an Uber car in my life, so I'm going to sue you for defamation of character. There you go. So uh, that'll sort... Mind you, you're Milton Keynes, aren't you? God, blimey, there's a dump and a half, isn't it? Milton Keynes. What's that famous for? Concrete cows and red balloons. Why? Because it was famous as the first town built out of London to accommodate an overspill of naff people. And, and then they, they said, it's got concrete cows. And then part of it, they were going along a canal with a kid with a red balloon and they get into this arena and there's all these other people with red balloons. So forever we associated Milton Keynes with red balloons. It's an odd one, that, isn't it? Because there was a very famous film called, I think, The Red Balloon, which was uh, a French film, which was lovely, which I've told you about before. It comes as a double DVD with white, white horses, I think. And it's about a kid in France, The Red Balloon. Have you ever seen it? Seen a red... oh, right. And he, he wakes up one morning and outside his bedroom window there's a red balloon. It's, it's, it's not a cartoon, it's a film. And so he brings the red balloon in and then he lets it go. And as he's walking to school, the balloon comes up behind him and is walking along with him. Um, 99, no, it's different. No, nine and nine, say Luftballon. <laughs> that was Nana, but the other one was 99 red balloons. <laughs> I can do it in any language as well, Chinese, if I, if I push it. Anyway, so and, and when he gets on the bus, the balloon's right behind him on the bus. It follows him, takes him into you know to school and all the rest of it. It becomes his best friend, this this balloon. And um, and so, so the film goes on. It's a charming little French film made years ago in colour. Uh, hence, you know, it's a red balloon. And, and it becomes his best friend. He wakes up in the morning, opens the windows. There's the red balloon bobbing around. And so that's it. And then, towards the end of the film... Uh, some nasty boys with um, slingshots uh, decide that they want to, you know, because they've seen him at school, they've seen the red balloon and they've decided they don't want him to have it anymore. So they get their their things out and they attack it with stones in their slingshots. And uh, it was filmed in, in Paris. Uh, the man who directed it is Albert Lamorisi. His son Pascal plays himself in the main role. His daughter Sabine portrays a little girl. It got loads of... Um, Awards in 1956. Anyway, eventually the boys with the uh, with the the slingshots kill the balloon, and the balloon dies, and it goes, and the little boy's standing there, and 
and, and the balloon is destroyed with these slingshots. But then, all over Paris and all over, little kids holding their balloons, the balloons fly free and they all come together. It's the most magical scene in this film, I promise you. And all the balloons come together, hundreds and hundreds of them, and they all come down to where this one dead red balloon is. And the little boy takes all the strings and holds them and the balloons lift him up in the air. It's like they've all come to pay homage. And they then take him on a cluster balloon ride over the city. All the balloons in Paris. It is the most wonderful film you've ever seen. It's a great one, mainly for adults. I always, I always, think, it's, uh, I always think it's adults, actually. I know kids like that kind of thing, but for us adults, it's, it's a, bit of, a bit of childhood nostalgia, isn't it? I was watching a thing. I go through phases on the internet. I watch different things. First of all, I was into dancing penguins. I don't know why I got quite into dancing penguins. And then we gave them up. And then we went on to... What else did we watch on the... We always used to watch certain things on the internet. Oh, yeah. Then I went on to bagpipes. We had bagpipes and pipe and drum bands and everything else because I loved that. And then we had um, Last Night of the Proms. And at the moment, for about the last week or so, I've been running with Billy Elliot and finding all different versions all over the world... And they're all the same, and it's lovely. And I watched the, the closing night in London where Elton John comes on stage, and it was really it was filmed for somebody in the audience, so it's a bit naughty. But it's such a great show. They should bring it back. It was absolutely brilliant. Guaranteed to reduce everybody to tears, except the producer, who's hard as a bag of nails. He just doesn't. Oh, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, Christmas. Christmas in Tabernacle Square, or whatever it's called. Yeah, I love that. It's so good. And yet you look around the audience and it's so white and there's nobody else there. I think there's two black people in the choir, in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. The penguins, there's a lot of black penguins. Yeah, I think this called Happy Feet. Sort of. It was taken from the film Happy Feet, but then somebody's added a disco beat to it. And they've done that. And everybody used to go, oh, you're watching those blooming penguins again. I go, yeah. I need something before the programme that sort of takes me to a different place. And the I know, and I, because I've got the producer, because my normal producer, well, I say normal, I mean, who is? Um, he, he's not well. He's, he's picked up this little, a little bug thing. So, uh, so for the last couple of nights, they've given me Aussie Boy. But we get on so well together, you know, we're sort of like a little team, aren't we? We sort of, you know, we have a lot of fun. He, he's, he sort of laughs when I look up at him. And then he makes little mistakes sometimes on the screen. And, you know, and then we sort of get over that. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's, just, it's one of those mad things, isn't it? It's one of those mad things where, you know, because you work it. Because somebody said to me, oh, does he not get sort of upset about it? No, of course he doesn't. He absolutely loves it. He loves it. He said to me this morning, he said, I love working with you. I said, well, it's a thrill for me too and an honour. And uh, not always a pleasure. But uh, no, it is. Seriously. If, if you didn't enjoy working with somebody, why would you bother doing it? It's not like getting on a plane, is it? And you're confronted by all these passengers knowing that some of them absolutely hate you and some of them absolutely love you. Warren is, um, is listening at the moment. Also, Jamie from Calabro. He said he's looking forward to the exclusive. Yes, we might have an exclusive with, with Calabro. And, uh, and Cliff's listening in Portugal. Cliff Richard. I get everybody. Who did I get yesterday? Man with lots of cars listening to the programme. Lots of very expensive cars, Warren, listening to the programme. I don't know what I was going to say after that, actually. Somebody, I was, I was, th- I was reminded, I, was, I flicked through the television channels the other night and I saw the programme about the circus kids and I thought they were great. Uh, there was one kid who did a, a knife-throwing act and his dad used to be in the circus and his mum and everything else. He seemed to be getting on quite well. Little kids were doing lassoing and uh, I just, all I kept thinking was, I, I, I want to go and join a circus, but I don't have an act. And then I thought we could take the producer out and we could sort of, we could do a skit about, you know, we could do clowning. 
or something like that. But I, I don't know many clowns who wear glasses. And so we'd have to sort of work that out. But we'd have to work his makeup out as well and what his clown name would be. Because if you're going to be a clown, you've got to have a clown name and clown makeup. And it's everybody's different. You never see two clowns with the same makeup. They'll be different. In, and they're all painted on eggs and they're kept in the clown museum. So each face is copyrighted. You can't copy somebody else's face. They'd come down on you like a ton of bricks. So it's, uh, it's, it's a much sought after industry, as they say. But I'm not sure I do that. I think you've got to be a certain person to be a clown. A certain person. You've probably got to be somebody out of a Hollywood movie, I should imagine. Um, other stories in the uh, the papers for today. Uh, Trump trade joy for Britain. Will wed before Christmas. This is Kem and Amber. How ridiculous. They've known each other for a matter of days. And they're going to, to marry before Christmas. And uh, uh, Warren says, I bet Tony Blair is eavesdropping too. I bet he is. I bet he is. I, bet, I wonder if he started listening to the programme. What if you never know. I tell you, until people write to you or you bump into somebody, somebody you've got no idea who's listening to the programme. You know, it's, it always comes as a nice, pleasant surprise to me. You just sit here at this time of the morning. Even sort of Stacey says the benefit of waking up at stupid hours, getting to listen to the Steve Allen show. It is. I mean, for those people who wake up early, go, oh, there's nothing to listen to on the radio. It's very sweet. I've got lots of friends in, in music radio, but you don't get anything like this. Probably a reason for it, I should imagine. Uh, the Becks look alike. We'll come round to again in a moment. And Craig's £47 million to spy again. Daniel Craig has signed the 007 deal. And uh, TV hardman Ross Kemp says he turned down Strictly Producers after a near-death incident in Afghanistan. He's filming next week. He's supposed to be coming into me, but he's filming... And uh, apparently I've been put on the back burner while he films. Get your gas. Get your gas. Get your arse in gear and get into the studio. Get your gas. What am I talking about? You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, 11 minutes to five. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast. Wednesday, 26th of uh, July. Apparently it's all kicking off in, um, in EastEnders because uh, apparently Lee Ryan is going back in the autumn. Uh, great. I would, uh, to be honest with you, because I haven't seen the programme, I don't really know where we are up to, but apparently he's been caught in bed with somebody, now he's disappeared off, and then they decide whether they want to bring him back again. Because I think a few people disappeared from EastEnders. They had a new producer coming in. The last one uh, took, a, took a quick exit, and, uh, and they got a new producer in, and he sort of cleared out a few, a few names. 39 years after her first one, poor old Katie Price is now looking even more bewildering with somebody else's hair stapled to her head. And that nasally voice, she just looks awful. Way too puffy here. She's had boob jobs. Uh, she's had lip fillers and she's had everything. I mean, last week, the Donald Duck doppelgammer, doppelgammer followed it up with a, a silhouette facelift to stop her cheap sagging. Five grand. It's amazing what you can take off people, isn't it, really, now? Oh, you can look so much better, dear. And you look at her and you go, God, you look dreadful. <laughs> Absolutely dreadful. But, of course, if you're addicted to cosmetic surgery, you don't see that. If you're anorexic, for example, you don't see that you're anorexic because it's an illness. You see a fat person. There was a guy on the television the other day and uh, what was his, his, his uh, claim to fame for being on the television? It was the fact that he was anorexic. Well, he wouldn't have known he just looked like normal to me, but he saw himself as fat. So he said, if you can see bones here, that's, you know, everybody would just go, you look a bit thin. He didn't see that. He saw something completely different. So I'm assuming for sort of poor old Katie Price, she doesn't know that she looks hideous. She probably thinks she looked great because she starts with the face and then she puts the makeup on. But unfortunately, she has these procedures. You're, you're messing around with, with a body. 
You're messing around with a face. I've never seen a facelift yet that looks that good that you don't know it's a facelift. It either looks peculiar on a very, very old person or it looks really bad, as in the case of her. You know, because once people start doing it, then they go, well, that's not quite right. Let's change that little bit. What you're doing is you're cutting about the body that, that, that somebody's given you and you're altering it to make it fit your stereotype of how you think you're going to look. Hence this peculiar person in the paper called... Um, he's... Uh, Jack Johnson. He's 20. He's a bit of a waste of space. Um, he's, a, he's way too overweight. He's fat. He's bloated. And he says that taxpayers will pay for his cosmetic surgery. He insists they must stump up even more cash to subsidise his desired champagne lifestyle. He's obviously got quite a few screws loose. Um, he'll appear on the television, I should imagine. If he's not on the television today, the, this morning will be the sort of place that'll put him on there. And then you'll suddenly realise that not only does he not look anything like David Beckham, he couldn't look like David Beckham unless they cut away half a tonne of fat. And, uh, and he says he also wants to, um, to learn to play football. He says, why should I work when you can have David Beckham's lifestyle uh, to just staying home? So he uses benefit payments and he wants to change his name to Beckham by deed poll. He comes from Nottingham. He says, uh, I was back paid some money after my benefits got stopped. People reported me as they thought that now I'm famous. No, you're not famous, love. You're just not. You're just a fat kid, I'm afraid, with no talent whatsoever. But uh, that's it. Uh, he's also pre preparing to lace up football boots. But he says, only my friends and family know I want to be a footballer. I ain't told my social media followers yet. It's pathetic, isn't it, that people like this even exist? It really is. He's got the ace chav um, haircut. He's fat and bloated because he lives on takeaways, I should imagine. And uh, he thinks that because he looks like David Beckham, that will fund his lavish lifestyle. Unfortunately, he doesn't realise. He's too too dim to realise that all this is about to come to a, uh, a grinding halt very, very shortly. But there you go. Let's not, let's not spoil it for him. I'm sure, you know, he obviously, in his deluded little mind, thinks he's going to be interesting. Uh, how old is your little producer, says uh, Darley? Um... Well, he's, he's, he's of an age. He's of an age. You know, we don't ask people like that round here. We're all ageless. It's radio. Everybody's the same age. We're all about 24, 25 in radio. Some of them. Um, I don't fit into that because I'm, I'm not part of that, that kind of clique. And, and radio presenters anyway. We're also ageless. I know that people might say, oh, you know, some people are 60, some are 63, some are, you know, some are a little bit older, some are a little bit younger. I don't know how, how old the oldest person would be and how young the youngest would be. I don't think it makes any difference, does it, really? I don't think so. Oh, look, lovely picture of Rihanna again, wearing another outfit. That's all she does is put on outfits and sort of take, have a picture taken. It's a very dreary existence. She turned up the other day in what can only be described as a pair of red curtains in Leicester Square, which if they'd fitted would have been a, would have been a remarkable thing, but uh, they didn't appear to fit either. Uh, here's a picture. Oh, look, Chloe Maidley. Stunning. There's nothing stunning about Chloe Maidley. There's posed pictures with Chloe Maidley. She's on holiday again. Unfortunately, she's in a hotel. If you've got any money, you stay sort of privately in a villa. She's in Ibiza. Ooh, dear. Poor soul, anyway. Never mind, she's tried her best, I suppose. Uh, also, 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 a judge has been blasting for letting off the drunk driver who caused a three-car pile-up as he raced at 80 miles an hour through a 30-mile-an-hour zone. That was what Nick was talking about the other day, wasn't it? People who were on the uh, on the motorway, speeding at over 140 miles an hour. And you think to yourself, uh, I don't mind them having an accident and killing themselves. I couldn't care less about that. It's whether they, they uh, affect other people. And three boy racers going down the motorway at 140-odd miles an hour. I'm afraid I think the judge should take them off the road. But most of these people don't have insurance. So they, they actually couldn't care less anyway whether they're stopped by the police. They're probably looking at this as a, as a badge of honour. 
I was watching the police in Australia the other day on one of these programmes, trying to arrest somebody because he was a plank, and his little mates uh, were, were filming the police and saying things like, don't touch me, mate, don't touch me. All this kind of stuff, you know, thinking they were really intelligent, whereas, in fact, they were just... Uh, it, it would have been so much easier if this bloke had just given his name and address, but he thought he was being a bit clever, but he wasn't. Mick says, I suppose the next Bond after Craig will be a woman. Well, it could be. There's, there's every... Li- I mean, it could be anybody, couldn't it, really? Does it really make a difference, whether it's a man or a, or a woman? I don't think it makes any difference. Hello, my name's Jane Bond. Could be. We could have trans. It could be just about anybody, couldn't it? I quite, I quite like the idea of it being a woman, because I know for a fact that it will annoy certain people. Who'll be going, like, you know, when people said Doctor Who is now going to be a woman. What? What? The internet went in a meltdown. Meltdown. Uh, Daisy Lowe looking after Louise Redknapp. Oh, I bet she is. They're best friends. I don't know if they were before, but apparently uh, Daisy just wants to be Louise's rock. Oh, how sweet. Both desperate for attention and both getting it, but for all the wrong reasons. Uh, Jargon busters. Parents did tragic Charlie's son proud, says uh, one letter to the Daily Star today. And I can imagine that. It's the people who are hanging around the court who thought that they were in on it. You know, the thought that they, they knew everything about the case. They were really peculiar looking, most of them. It's a very, very odd story. You know, the ones who took the blow-up plane and all this kind of stuff without realising that uh, they were so far out on a limb it was just an embarrassment. Just an embarrassment. Uh, girl power. Although we heard that they're going to be disbanding the rugby lot, aren't they? They're only going to be doing certain ones, especially after the, uh, the ladies did so well. Tennis and, uh, and cricket. And uh, very pleased about that. It's still unusual, though, isn't it? If, you, if you're in London and I see a, a woman taxi driver, I still look. Women bus drivers, I don't think a thing about now. Isn't that odd? I don't think anything about... You know, if a bus pulls up and there's, and there's a woman driving, I wouldn't have thought anything about that at all. Taxi drivers, I, I just get used to seeing in, in black cabs. But very rarely in the cabs that I get do I have a woman driver. I think I've had a couple. I did, in fact, get into the wrong cab once, and it was a woman. And I was quite surprised. And, and when I sort of... She said, where are you going? And I said, Leicester Square. And she said, I think you're in the wrong cab. And it turns out I was in the wrong cab. I got into somebody else's. And that never happens. It really doesn't happen at all. 84850, uh, We'll also have a look at the war on diesel getting dirty. So, what is it, 2040, they're going to ban all new petrol and diesel vehicles. God, they're obsessed on... 2040, wait a minute. Oh, that's OK, I won't be around anyway. It's not going to make any difference. I'm not going to be living to see the year 2040, I don't think. Uh, give them some peace. Tempers flaring in court as Charlie's lawyers and his parents accuse the hospital of placing obstacle after obstacle in the way. There's going to be a nasty repercussion here. I can just see the uh, the parents of Charlie Gard, especially the uh, the father, turning quite nasty against Great Ormond Street, who've literally bent over backwards. They couldn't have bent over more backwards. Uh, to accommodate them. All they've said is this child is brain damaged. He was brain damaged eight months ago. You know, this neurosurgeon from from America just delayed tactics and gave them false hope, but of course they haven't admitted that at all. But uh, either way, now they're arguing in court over what they do with this little boy. Why don't they leave him where he is? But because it's not my decision, it doesn't really make any difference what I say. I'd probably say take him for a walk in the park and let him, you know, be in the sunshine or something like I don't know. That's just me thinking out of the box, and they're probably thinking roughly the same thing. But they can't take him home because they don't have the facilities to look after him at home. So they'd have to have to arrive with a, a team of nurses who'd have to sleep somewhere because we don't know how long he's going to survive after they turn off the machine. We don't know that. And also, once he goes home, are they going to turn the machine off at home or are they turning it off 
before they go, in which case it doesn't matter really what size bed fits through the door, but I'm assuming they'll take him home, then they'll turn the machine off, which is, it's going to be easier to turn the machine off, isn't it, in Great Ormond Street, where there's all the facilities there to look at the palliative care. Steve says, Ian, I've just seen a picture of the David Beckham lookalike. He looks a bit like one of the Teletubbies. I'm not sh- sure which one. I know. It's a, it's a, you always get peculiar throw-ups in the world, and they're always from sort of that neck of the woods, aren't they? They sort of find these uh, people, and they go, yeah, I think I'm going to be a David Beckham lookalike. He doesn't work because he's got depression. And you think, well, loads of people have got depression. They manage to work. He sounds to me like he's just one of these people who just wants to sit on the couch and be a David Beckham lookalike. What's the point of that? I mean, that goes to show just how dumb some people are. Charlie Gard's parents, they appear to be turning great, uh, against Great Ormond Street. As Prince Philip prepares to bow out next week, he's still the hardest-working royal. He really is. Puts the younger members to absolute shame, especially those uh, members of the family on Prince Andrew's side, for example. The spiteful couple, I've got to tell you about these ones, who face losing their home after using a gate spiked to block off the neighbour's metre. Uh, the mystery of uh, of Gary Lineker and his ex-wife. He seems to trail around like a poor lost soul. And Jason Manford records an album. Why? You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Such an odd job, this, isn't it? The more I think about it, the more bizarre it is. You arrive in, you get up, and, uh, and then you sit down, you have a cup of coffee, and you come in, you chat to somebody, and you sit down, and you sit in a seat, and you stare at a microphone, and you open your mouth, and words come out, and people listen to it. And I just thought a minute ago, I would just explain to the producer about different radio stations in this building obviously play their news at different times. Obviously, when it times into the record coming out or something like that, I said, because I get a bit confused because I can hear them in the toilet. If I'm going to the toilet, I can hear. the, re- And I always think, oh, God, I'm going to run out of time and I haven't got my coffee yet. Then they're halfway through through the first record and we haven't finished the news yet. So I've learned not to not to listen to it. And I said, what an odd job this is. You worry about things like that. And then you tell people you're worrying about it. Because somebody said to me, do you ever worry about what to talk about on the programme? I said, no, because I can spend 25 minutes talking about what I talk about when I've got nothing to talk about. So there's always something to talk about. You can talk about the studio, you can talk about the air conditioning, you can talk about all sorts of things. Talk about, you know, the problems, getting your coffee ready and trying to go to the toilet and get back in time and open the door, you know, with the pass before the, before the, the news has finished. So you can actually spend a lot of time doing that. I, I set myself a target some years ago, to see if I sat here with a set of newspapers, how long I could get into the programme before I started reading the newspapers. And I worked out I could do an hour and a half, two hours easy without the newspapers until I needed to turn to them. So I then started using the newspapers as a backup. But because all the stories in the newspapers over the past, what, week has been Charlie Gard, that's taken up so much of the newspapers, because people have argued either way, the uh, people have shouted in court, the doctors and nurses have had abuse, they've had death threats, which, as far as I'm concerned, is absolutely unforgivable. You take somebody into court and you charge them, and uh, and you name and shame these people. You know, the Charlie Guard case has got nothing to do with these interfering busybodies who sit outside the court with their little homemade placards and stuff like that. Some very odd people who obviously, you know, get off on the on the publicity of, of Charlie Guard. Ridiculous. Uh, The war on diesel. I remember years ago, I'm old enough to remember, when the government said, have a diesel car. And diesel cars were better. And then all of a sudden, I I sort of noticed this sort of um, splitting where you got the petrol cars and the diesel cars. And LBC used to have diesel cars. We used to have Fronteras. We had three Fronteras, all logoed up, and they were all diesel. And the reason I only knew they were diesel as opposed to petrol is because they were noisier. 
than other cars. Then all of a sudden the price of diesel started going through the roof and I started thinking, I'm so glad I don't have a diesel car. In fact, I don't think they make my car in diesel anyway. And so now they're saying, oh, we're going to do away with diesel and petrol and we're all going to have these hybrid cars, which are going to cost a small fortune. By the time you get to 2040, I'd start saving up now because they're, if they're expensive now, they're going to be even worse by the time you actually get to the year 2040. But as it's not say, it's not really going to affect me very much at all. Uh, Trump trade joy for Britain is in the uh, the papers for today. And also, if you're neurotic, you might live longer. So that's good news, isn't it? Depends how long you want to live. Isn't it odd? I remember some relatives of mine, one of my relatives, her her family, two of them were very old and they'd had enough. They'd had enough. They were both in their 90s. And they'd had enough. They they just wanted to go to sleep and stay asleep. And every morning they woke up was enough. Of course, they then got angry. And angry is good. Angry is good because it gets the blood pumping through the system. And so you live longer. But they hated it. They hated it. They were thinking every which way but that they, they could sort of get out of living as long as they uh, as they did. And they did live to what they call a ripe old age. And I begin to wonder if in the future people are going to live longer. What's the quality of life going to be like? There is a man who I know in, in Twickenham. He's a friend of uh, some friends of mine. He's fairly old and he's got dementia and he's got dementia badly. So now he doesn't know. He recognises me. If ever I'm out, he's the other side of the road, because to be honest with you, this is going to sound really awful. He's forgotten about washing and he's forgotten about hygiene or anything. So in fact, he didn't change his socks for a month. Uh, One of his other friends was saying, he said, you don't want to get too close to him because he smells really, really badly. So he hasn't changed his clothes in at least two months now. And he doesn't know that because he's got dementia. He doesn't he doesn't know things like that. But he if he sees me, he'll wave and I always wave back to him. It's a it's a little bit of recognition for him. And that's and that's all he's got. He'll stand there by the bus stop waiting. The buses go past. He doesn't know which bus he's waiting to get on. He just knows he's at a bus stop and he's supposed to be getting on a bus. But to where? He doesn't know. And I think that's so sad. So when when people say, oh, people are going to give longer in the future, live much longer. And you go, yeah, but what's the quality of life going to be like? If we find a cure for cancer, and that's not likely, it's very unlikely because of the different forms of cancer. You know, we keep getting it. We pump millions, millions and millions and millions into it. And thank God we do. Thank goodness we, we try and raise money. Uh, for people suffering from cancer. And, you know, and, and you see people, sometimes you see somebody walking down a street and they've got no hair and you can tell that they're having chemo and that's the reaction. People have said to me, I've had letters before from people saying, I'm going through chemo and it's a shock when your hair starts falling out, especially if you're a child. But they make wigs and everything else now so people can sort of get get through that, that stage of it. But that's what you're looking for, isn't it? Do you want to live longer? I don't know how much longer I want to live for. If they said we could make it possible for you to live to 125, you think to yourself, I don't think I'd have any money by that time. <laughs> Long before that, it would have run out. So what do you do? What do you do? Do you just sort of say, I don't know, what is a, what is a good age now? If you say 80, 85, which would be considered a very good age, what happens if you're at 85 now listening to this programme going, oh, I think I want to live a bit longer? Because some people at 85 are very good they're very, very good. They're very... Mind you, I know people of 40 who look like they're on their last legs. I see, see them all at the railway stations in the morning. Mind you, they're probably looking at me thinking, poor old soul, here he is again, st- still with his phone clamped to his ear, listening to LBC. You know, that's the kind of stuff. So if you're neurotic now, you might live a bit longer. 
We don't know how much longer. They just say a little bit longer. Uh, also, uh, somebody who's in casualty says men are paid more to look after the wife. Because you do get men who go out, as it used to be years ago. It's not sexist or anything else. Men used to go out and they would come in on the Friday night. They'd give their pay packet to the wife. And she would uh, you watch any British film. Uh, ask ask your parents what it was like for their parents and they'll tell you exactly the same thing. Father went out to work, mother didn't work. She might have taken in washing and that'd be it. Because somebody the other day was saying on the radio, and I think it was on Darren's show, that the it was the middle classes who did who did HP. I thought, no, it would be the working classes who hadn't got any money. They'd be the people who'd be wanting something on the never-never. So they'd be the people that the tally man had come round and knock on. The amount of people who would get the knock on the door on the Friday and the man had come round with his little book... And he'd go, right, you owe threepence because you had this sofa or this television or whatever it happens to be. And you'd pay it. And if you didn't pay it, then, you know, you made sure you paid it by next week. Otherwise, they'd come and take it away. So it was, it was purely designed, not for the middle classes. The only HP that we had, <laughs> not that I think we were middle class because I'm working class family. Stupid though it sounds, that's what you have to say nowadays, because we worked for a living. My father came from working class family, big family, working class though. Gants Hill, Leighton Stone, all around there, Gidea Park. Although some parts of Gidea Park are quite posh, I appreciate. But that's what we were. We were working class. We had HP on the television uh, and HP on... What else do we have it on? The cooker, I think. I think it was, the, it, was the, it was the two things that you needed. You needed to eat, and we quite liked the entertainment on the, on the television, even though when the blooming thing arrived, we, uh, we didn't get to see it straight away. Because my mother said, oh, that's great, let's turn it off now, and we'll have a check in the paper later. So before you could go in the sitting room and put, put the telly on, my mother would have to check... Of course, in those days, you got fit quicker. Why? No remote controls. You had to actually physically get up and push a button on the television to change the channel. And there were, as far as I remember, only two. I don't remember there being anything else. And I remember for ages, people couldn't pick up Channel 5. Very odd, isn't it? Things change. Things change. 84850, Steve at Uh The watchdog backing the vegans' milk ad. Um, and this is a campaigning vegan group has won the right to state that no milk is produced humanely. The campaign by Go Vegan World suggests young calves were being taken from their mothers so we can have the milk they produce. It drew complaints from the dairy industry, but the Advertising Standards Authority has backed the accuracy of the message in a blow to dairy farmers who've suffered for years of falling sales. The ASA said, that's the Advertising Standards Authority, say that while the campaign relied on hard-hitting language, it was unlikely to materially, materially mislead readers. But I thought that you had to... Well, I never thought about that, actually. So, so the cows give birth and they take the calves away so that we then get the milk. OK, seems fair enough, doesn't it? Otherwise, where else do we get the milk from? So they're allowed to run that advert. This is the ASA. We've had run-ins with the ASA before when they allow all sorts of strange, bizarre adverts, uh, mainly to sort of suit their own purposes. But uh, they're allowing that one. What was the one that they complained about a short while ago? It was something to do with Jesus on the side of a bus. That's all I remember. People sort of, you know, talking about Jesus. And then they... they I forget what it was now. Because it, people get very funny about religion. And I was watching a programme that Jamie Theakston did the other day on the television. I think it's an old one. And it was about the Catholic Church and miracles. And he went to a place where apparently three children claimed they'd seen the Virgin Mary in a vision. Now, you know, if you're a believer, you're a believer. If you're a non-believer, you're really a non-believer. And so they went to this thing and it turned into an industry, an industry of sort of people buying tourist 
you know, charms and all these. It's like going to Lourdes. You know, still, every day. Today, there will be coachloads of people going to Lourdes, hoping for a miracle. They've not had a miracle at Lourdes about the past 50 years. But still, it becomes an object uh, of discussion with people who want to go there. Because they, and you find people carried on stretchers. You know, people taking the holy water. It's just water that comes out the side, you know. Nothing holy about it. But because it's become a shrine, people go, oh, Lourdes. You know, people walk again. No, they don't. No, they don't. They've not had a, a, you know, anything that's happened there, any miracles for so many years now. It was a load of old bunkum to start with, but people want to believe in it. And that's why it's still very popular. People still go there because they hang on to that idea that the, you see, you know, terminally ill people being taken. They're coming on ambulances, coachloads of nuns and everything else. They go there because they want to believe in something. And years ago, this vision of the Virgin Mary appeared to these three children in a field. Now, as we all know, children tell porky pies. But if the church chooses to go with it, then they turn it into an industry. You know, the Shroud of Turin is still in Turin. Why is it not in Vatican City? In a, in a, in a glass case that we can all see. No, they like to add the mystery to it. So the Shroud only comes out every so often, you know, and they sort of keep it, ah, because it's, it's the most holy relic. No, it's not. It's absolutely not. As I've said before, if it was, it would be in Vatican City. You think the Pope would allow something like that to be stuck in a godforsaken place like Turin? Of course not. Listen, I mean, I've had a few miracles in this studio. There's a few things happened here that I thought, you know, but I've, I've kept it to myself. I don't want hordes of people turning up in coaches outside the front door because I've had a bit of an epiphany in the studio. In fact, I've had quite a few epiphanies in the studio, but it's another story. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. You wouldn't believe the conversations we have during the breaks here, I tell you. We discuss all sorts. We're having this... We both seem to be agreed on Charlie Gard. Now, as I say, it's only because we're sticking our six uh, penneth in. They want to move him so he's at home. Um, but the hospital have said, listen, the door isn't big enough to get his his cot in there and all the rest of it. And we're saying, listen, he's been at Great Ormond Street for eight months. Why not let him die peacefully there? We don't know... If when they start moving him out of there, what do they do? Do they move him under cover of darkness so that the press don't start taking pictures of a sick child on a bed? Or do they take him out so it's all covered over so you can't see anything? Is there an underground part there where the ambulances can go so you don't see him going in there? And also, how are you going to get him in an ambulance with his bed? Sounds like you're going to have to bring in a coach or something. So why not leave him where he is? But there again, it's not our decision. It's not up to us what happens. And it's not really up to the parents. It's up to the hospital to make sure that the palliative care that he gets is the very best. And that's the care that you get at the end of your life. They don't want to basically be sort of disconnecting him and then putting him in an ambulance and re reconnect him again in case it doesn't work. They might disconnect him. He might die instantly. We don't know. We just know that he's not going to survive very long. So that's, that's the big problem. But as they've been in the hospital all this time, and they're the people who've looked after him, why not stay where he is? Surely you don't want him to suffer in any way, shape or form, do we? Either way, I think there's going to be so much more that's going to come out about this story. I've just got this feeling. Uh, the spiteful couple who face losing their home after using a spiked gate make a lot of the papers this morning. This is a feud between neighbours. How many times, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, have we had feuds between neighbours? This is where, you know, all seems perfectly pleasant. And now they make television programmes about it. And they've had to put hidden cameras in. And they've had neighbours shouting racial obscenities at people and throwing things and all the rest of it. Carol Dickinson is 76. And her husband had been at war with their neighbour, who's called Moigan Casillas, for 14 years. 
So you can imagine it's kind of reached breaking point. Mrs Dickinson, branded aggressive and spiteful by a judge, is accused of erecting a spiked gate around a metre um, and uh, stabbing another neighbour who intervened in a row. The case has left Mrs Dickinson and her husband Frank, who's 82, with a potential £200,000 legal bill after a judge found in Mrs Casillas' favour. But now the couple from Stockport are battling to overturn the decision at the Court of Appeal. Senior judges heard that the costs are secured against the neighbour's home of 29 years and they'll have to sell up if they lose. The troublemaking pensioner and her bombastic husband painted themselves as decent and honest people. But in fact, the judge, Charles Kahn, in Manchester in 2015, said their attempts to convince me were cynical and frankly failed spectacularly. The Casillas' gas and electricity meters are located in the eight-foot driveway between the two homes. They're on a wall that can only be accessed from the Dickinson's drive, with the retired couple claiming their neighbour had no right to inspect them. So here we have the first bit of a problem. It's on the wall. They say they have no right to inspect them. Well, how do you read the things, for goodness sake? The row began in 2003, when the Dickinson's refused a gas company permission to access... Uh, the meters, they erected a lock gate on the path to their home and attached it to a cast iron bar with spikes running across the tops. Uh, Tensions spiralled in 2004. Mrs Casillas tried to sell her home, no doubt as a result of the problems she was having. The court heard how Mrs Dickinson at one stage tried to cut down the for sale sign with a carving knife that was stopped by another neighbour. The judge said, what did Mrs Dickinson, an honest and decent accommodating neighbour, do? She stabbed him, for which she was convicted. Anyway, they have substantially interfered with the rights. They've been ordered to either take down the gate or to give Mrs Casillas a key. After the 2015 ruling, the Dickinsons were ordered to pay crushing legal costs with Mrs Casillas alone coming to over £200,000. Judge Khan said Mr Dickinson was evasive, Mrs Dickinson was an aggressive, spiteful troublemaker and racist. They've thrown it all in, challenging the ruling, the Dickinsons' barrister argued that Mrs Casillas had been given more extensive rights of access to her neighbour's land than she was entitled to. She's reading a metre. As I say, it's something so silly, isn't it, really? But anyway, outside the court, Mrs Dickinson said she felt traumatised. But, I mean, you're obviously not very pleasant. (laughs) Neither you nor your husband are very pleasant. So they might have to lose their house to pay the cost. It's like the can't pay, we'll come and take it away, isn't it? It goes to uh, to the bailiffs. You don't pay the money, they come round. In this case, £200,000 means, effectively, you've got, to, you've got to sell the property. I think the bailiffs did a programme a while ago where they were going to a pub and they turned up with lorries to remove it, but the bloke had got there before them and he'd actually removed a lot of stuff. It was all very traumatic. It was basically a case of he had uh, moved into this pub, he hadn't bothered to, uh, to pay the rent, things weren't doing as well as he was hoping, and uh, so in come the bailiffs. And uh, and then it all starts going downhill. In the case of warring neighbours, the one thing I've always said to people is, for goodness sake, don't fall out with your neighbours. I mean, I'm lucky I don't fall out with my neighbours. I get on well with all my neighbours. I'm just one of those sort of irritating people, you know, because I'm just... Why would you fall out with your neighbour? In fact, one of my neighbours is, is so good, she even deadheads my plants for me. That's what you call good neighbourly. And also, it's, it's funny, people live in flats and they don't talk to each other. People live in houses for years and years. And they've been having a dispute with the person next door. It's always the person next door. It's never somebody two doors away. And they have this dispute. And then they end up going to court. And once the court decides, somebody somewhere is going to be deeply upset and they're going to be having to fork out money because somebody's going to want paying. 
And so the next door neighbour in this case wants £200,000. That's what's been awarded. But they're having to appeal uh, to, to make sure they don't have to pay it because they're decent people. But the judge has already deemed that they're not decent people. They're sort of just really not very pleasant at all, which I think is a shame, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's almost like watching a soap on the television. But unfortunately, it's real. It's real life, and it can ruin your life. In the, in the case of this thing, all they had to do was let somebody read a metre. There's an open driveway going through. You know, all right, we accept the fact that maybe it isn't their property, but their metre happens to be on that wall. It's not their fault that's where the electricity and the gas were put. They've got it there, unless you call in the electricity and gas, and they say, all right, we'll move it round the front, something like that, then they can have their, their sort of silly thing. But they've still lost the court case. It's awful, really, isn't it? Because they, they could end up losing. At their time of life, 82 and 79 isn't exactly the best time to start shunting things around. But that's what happens. People fall out and then they get a little bit het up and then they get, right, we're going to go to court without realising. But, you know, there is the chance that something could go against them. In this case, it did because they put up a bar and because she threatened somebody with a knife. Can't do that. Doesn't matter how old you are. Or how nice you think you are. We had that uh, former Blue Peter... Sorry, sorry, not Blue Peter. We had the former BBC producer who'd worked with Attenborough the other day. Uh, the BBC were contacted, and it turns out he's not worked for them for ten years. Obviously a reason, isn't there, I should imagine. Mad, 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 mad. They both decided that they're not going to go for, for prosecution. Neither side in that particular case have decided they want to take it any further. So it goes no further. But, I mean, he was just nasty. I mean, just even though the neighbours said he seems perfectly nice. That's always the way, though, isn't it? You see somebody who's perfectly nice, they turn out to be mad as a fruitcake. <sighs> Not so good. I quite like the idea that Alice Cooper has just found an Andy Warhol original. He discovered this silkscreen artwork rolled up in a tube, untouched for 30 years. Uh, he became pals with Andy Warhol, this is Alice Cooper, in 1970s. And um, as a birthday gift, his then-girlfriend, Cindy Lang, gave him the silkscreen print, little electric chair, paying around... £1,100 for it. That's all they paid for it, £1,100. When Cooper, whose latest album, Paranormal, is released on Friday, realised the work by Warhol uh, was valuable, he started a search. Publicist Chris Goodman said they hunted for months, adding, and then we found a tube, like the type you keep posters in, and there it was. And the estimate is, from, from all those years ago, <laughs> 1970s, 1100 has turned magically into £7.5 million. Pounds. Seven and a half million. Well, now Andy, uh, um, Alice Cooper can give money to David Cassidy because David Cassidy is broke and has fallen on hard times. But Alice Cooper is his best friend. An unlikely collaboration. You might uh, you might well question. But that would be nice, wouldn't it? That'd be a nice thing to do, you know, to give him some money. Uh, blatant injustice. Uh, this is calls to change the legal aid system after a killer gets cash denied to Charlie's parents so he can sue prison chiefs. Uh, Charlie Guard's parents don't get anything, but they've got 1.3 million sitting in a bank somewhere, uh, which will go to help uh, six children. Six children. That's what we hope, anyway. Uh, also, the countdown to the Duke's final parade. This is Prince Philip. He has done a total of 22.2 thousand solo official engagements. He's 96. His final job will be to attend a Buckingham Palace Royal Marines parade and receive three cheers from the troops. Good for him. Good for him. Listen, he's worked hard all his life. Certainly worked a lot harder than other members of uh, of the royal family. As I say, you only have to look at sort of Andrew and the bone-idle daughters. 
you know, to realise that Andrew, who's just so busy, passes stuff on to dreary old Sarah Ferguson now to do. Not good, is it? Um, a Benny Hill fun run. You have to be joking. They wanted people to wear nurses' outfits and race around a park. But uh, apparently somebody said it was uh, terrible. It's beneath you, they said, to do something like that. You know, you can't sort of lower it to have a nurse fun run. That one, you know, where they speeded everything up. I to be honest with you, I never got it either. But uh, that would be quite funny. You have to do it in a funny sort of way. Also, Treasure Island, uh, set to earn millions in endorsements. Of what? What on earth can these people endorse? They've got no talent, apart from the fact they're two bimbo himbos. What, what, what sort of talent is that? I don't get it at all. And already they're picking on Theresa May. She goes out uh, wearing a pink dress. Unfortunately, they're surrounded by press and paparazzi. And they've said, I'm sorry, if you're going out again in future, can you make sure you put some fake tan on your legs? I mean, you haven't just gone on holiday, for goodness sake. And they say, so who's actually running the country? God, I don't know. Even Tony Blair took holidays, for goodness sake. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. We learn so much on this programme, don't we? We do. It's, it's a fair education. It's nice to be company. 27 minutes to six. Steve Allen's early breakfast. 26th of July, Wednesday. This is where the weather turns. Having, having told us we're expecting a heat wave, and I was looking at uh, a television programme yesterday, and they were saying over in Italy, they've got wildfires and things like that because they're in the middle of a heat wave. Over here, we're kind of practically moving into winter. It's becoming a bit autumnal. We're going to see leaves piling up all over the place very shortly. And around here, of course, Leicester Square, we've got quite a lot of leaves to, uh, to drop from the trees. I wish they didn't put trees in the middle of Leicester Square. I think it should all be open so you can see what the square looks like, because it's so lovely, so beautiful. But uh, it's going to rain today. In fact, basically across the whole country, it's going to rain. So take an umbrella, take a Mac, take something. Because I always see people getting on the trains, and they've either not listened to the radio... They've not heard anything. It was like the other day when we were telling you about Waterloo Station and the fact that there weren't any trains going out because they had the problem with the signalling. Uh, there'd be loads of people who probably didn't hear that. So they will happily trot off to the station and then stand there like lunatics going, why are there no trains? And you think, well, if you'd listen to the radio, then you might have realised that there were no trains today because there's a signalling problem. Yesterday, I managed to get out of the, the station dead easily. Dead easily. That was that was quite nice. It was just the and I like and also the good thing is that because there are no children, the trains are empty. You suddenly realise how much room children take up on the train. But in fact, there's hardly anybody in the train. And I was speaking to the driver this morning, William, and um, he started work last night at ten o'clock and said busy. He said no, not really. I said that's because it's holiday. All the people who you know would normally be taking cars into work at this time in the morning, they're all on holiday. People go away, don't they? This is sort of your July August holidays, and then, you know, you sort of have to go, how do we get through this bit? You've got to hope that people turn up from somewhere, because you're relying on that. But that's for, that's for all, the different, all the different services now, I should imagine. Buses I get on now are empty, but the train noticeably yesterday. I quite liked it, because you can pick and choose the train, can't you? They're thinking of doing away with first-class carriages. Brilliant idea. Why do we have first-class carriages now? You don't actually need them. You know, you can do all the stuff that you do in a first-class carriage elsewhere. Most of the people who sit in them, especially on the on the Reading line, are people who don't have first-class tickets. I'd have a, you know, I'd love to be an inspector. You know, I would have a policeman stationed either end of the first-class carriage and open the door, shut the door behind you, go, tickets, and see the scramble for people trying to... Sorry, you can't go anywhere. OK, there's a policeman standing outside there. Um, you know, right, let's start issuing fines, shall we? 
That's it, because, you know, people who sit there, either they're, they're illiterate and they can't read the one in the window, or they're trying to cheat the system, which, of course, is perfectly feasible. Uh, BMW will build an electric model of a Mini, the first fully electric Mini, built in Britain from 2019. Uh, one of my producers, Chris, has got a Mini. And um, it's uh, it's nice actually. It's it's got all the all the singing, all dancing gadgets. It's got a big sort of you know fascia board, and it, it all looks quite nice actually. But the idea of having an electric model quite appeals to me. But I can't do small cars. I can't do. I used to have a mini years ago, OLR two nine nine W. But I can't. Um, I, I can't get in one. I can get in his one, and you seem to have loads of room. Not. I mean, it's probably all right for pootling. Have you been in it? It's all right for going around town and stuff like that. I wouldn't want to do motorway trips on it. And I used to do a motorway trip in my car. And eventually we blew the blooming engine out so uh, because it just uh, it couldn't take it. But it was, uh, it, was, it was quite a good experience. So I'm not, a, not averse to buying a Mini. I just don't know whether or not people would be able to afford it. It's going to be about £25,000, isn't it, I would think. I didn't actually find a price for it. And then I thought the other day, didn't I? I thought, perhaps I'll go and get a, um, an electric bike. And then somebody said, no, you're, mis- you're misinterpreting what the electric bike is supposed to do. The idea is you're supposed to cycle, and then every so often you sort of let it do a bit of the strain. You can't just sit on it and let it be an electric bike. Because I just thought it'd be like a, a sort of a motorbike scooter or something like that. <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, Nick is in Surrey, and uh, he's on the train. I bet that train's really quiet at this time of the morning. This is the best time to be on the train. Best time to drive through London. It's fantastic. I love it. Somebody's texted in, 84850. No, they have texted 84850, which is lovely. That's quite sweet. Uh, from 1276 to 84850. We couldn't quite work out whether or not this was somebody who's on medication or somebody who's not quite grasped the system. KP and Lieutenant listening to in Rome this morning. Getting ready to catch my 7.15am train Italia to Venice, back in Blighty on Friday. Actually, how lovely being in, in, in Rome on a morning like this. You know, the Pope's turned off the fountains to conserve. They've got a bit of a problem with water at the moment because of the, uh, because of the, uh, the shortages. So he's turned off the fountains in Vatican City. Must be a bit of a hardship. I like a, what do they put in the fountains in Trafalgar Square, I wonder? I've got a fountain at home and it seems to clog up with algae because it, the water reacts with the sunlight and then you get this green sludge which you have to clear off every so often. Uh, Mick says there are not many female train drivers. You're right, there's not many female train drivers. Why? Why are there not? And also the other thing which I get on southwestern trains, which is the only thing that doesn't, which sort of annoys me a little bit, is when you're sitting on the train and then the driver, who's uh, sorry, the, uh, the guard who's obviously going to announce what's going on on the journey, then goes, testing, test, one, two, three. And he did this bit, and I thought, do you know that we can hear this? So, uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. And sometimes the accents are so bad, you can't understand a word they're saying. Or they speak very softly. And you can't hear anything. You feel like saying to them, speak up. You can always catch me on the platform. I always try and catch them on the platform. But being in Rome this morning, we're a little bit jealous of being in Rome. I think that's quite a nice place to be for a holiday, provided you watch out. A friend of mine was uh, saying uh, the other day, he's uh, a taxi driver, and he said there was a moped gang operating on Park Lane, uh, which is to steal from you. So they'll mount the pavement to steal your mobile phone. So just be warned, you see anybody, two people on a little moped, put your phone, keep your phone in your pocket. If you're going to make a phone call, stand in a doorway or something like that. Just make it a bit bit uh, more difficult for them to take it because they're operating. I mean, I frankly would be kicking them over in the bikes they're trying to take my phone. So I make sure I don't use my telephone uh, at all. 
if there's anybody uh, out there. It's like using cash points. I'm always looking around thinking, right, nobody looking. Tip, 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 tip. Done. Uh, Steve, my dad is turning 82 next month. He does 200 sit- sit-ups each morning, along with sub- uh, weight and breathing exercises. He still works a couple of mornings a week, and he's always the first on the dance floor and the last one off. My son says his uh, grandpa is fitter than most of his friends. They're in their 30s. He loves life. He's trim, smart, smells good, takes pride in his appearance. Long may it continue. Rock on, Tommy. Mum and Dad have been married 62 years, says B in Clitheroe. Um, and unfortunately, and very sadly, Mum has dementia uh, and had to be put into a care home last October. So we like your show. Long may you continue. I like Clitheroe. That was the programme I couldn't think of the other day, which was uh, the Clitheroe Kid, which was on the radio. We were talking about radio programmes and the Clitheroe Kid we used to hear on a Sunday. And it had everybody in it. It had all these characters. And I thought it was wonderful. And Jimmy Clitheroe was a little little man who dressed as a schoolboy, a bit like sort of early crankies. But uh, I think he died. Did he die? I think Jimmy Clitheroe died, I think, on the morning of his mother's funeral or something like that. Either way, the Clitheroe Kid was a very popular radio programme. Uh, the Corrie Cops. Uh, Corrie, not as in Coronation Street. This is uh, Corrie McKeague. They've agreed not to refill a rubbish dump until a review is carried out into the disappearance of Corrie McKeague. I don't, he's just vanished off the face of the earth. He was known for sleeping in skips, apparently. But uh, his father, Martin, had blocked the entrance to the tip with a camper van. They spent £1.2 shifting 6,500 tonnes of waste without success. Uh, Officers believe that Corrie was taken to the site in Milton in a waste truck after falling asleep in a bin, but the 20-week hunt ended on Friday. Because what he actually could... They did a thing... Sorry, changing the subject completely. I was just thinking, if somebody's in the back of a tipper truck and then they tip him out and maybe he's drugged or drunk or something like that because he had a bit of a chequered sex life, uh, then he could have been unconscious, covered with all this rubbish, and then over the years the body just rotted down because they're constantly filling in this thing, literally time after time. But they were doing an experiment on avalanches, snow avalanches in particular. They identified 80 different types of snow And so the scientists were barricaded in this little hut on the hillside with all their equipment in there. And they set off deliberately an avalanche. And it was inside the hut. At one point, the snow was so powerful, it burst open the door to the hut and started filling up with snow. It frightened the life out of me. And they stood there. There was about four or five of them. And then they had to start shoveling the snow out. But it's like shoveling out concrete this snow impacts so much. It was You can understand how, you know, when avalanches are set off and they can be set off by skiers or anything, they're generally fatal. Sometimes we've had whole villages disappear under avalanches. Hotels, there was one only a, only a few years back, wasn't there, which was just completely destroyed by this avalanche. And you suddenly realise the, the power and the force of nature. Terrible, absolutely terrible. Uh, also, the papers today, it's um, casualties, Tom Chambers who no-one knew until he won Strictly a few years ago, has defended the BBC gender pay gap with an argument that harks back to the 1950s. He's done himself no favours, I'm afraid. He said many men's salaries aren't just for them, it's for their wife and children too. He's clearly, writes the, uh, the columnist in the Mirror today, grasped that some women stay home while their spouse is busy breadwinning precisely because of the gender pay gap. Or that plenty of women are the main family earners. Can he be the first to have his salary docked, please, on a point of principle? Yes. Also, Jodie Whittaker has revealed what it feels like to play a doctor on BBC One for the first time. Uh, And then they've got um, the Chelsea people who are going out 
to do one of these sun sand scandal things in, I think they're doing it in Ibiza. So they've got Olivia Bentley, Alex Mitten, Jamie Lang. Must be filmed ages ago because Jamie shaved all his hair off. Didn't have much to start with, poor soul. And Frankie Gaff. And so they say here, it's going to be a six-part E4 series. They're told friendships will be tested. Unexpected romance may blossom and the couples could crumble in the sizzling heat. Who cares? Who really cares? I mean, Jamie Lang's about as old as the hills now, isn't he, really? And also, I saw a bit of a programme last night. It was called Craft It Yourself, a show all about making things for your home. It was the worst piece of rubbish I've ever seen in my entire life. I can't believe who it's aimed at, but apparently I'm in a minority. Crafters are on the increase. They're doing crafting on the television now for Christmas cards, Christmas crackers, Christmas presents, Christmas gift bags, and they're calling it Christmas in July. Now, I love Christmas, as you know, but watching this Craft It Yourself programme, I wasn't sure if it was a cunning plan to whet the appetite for home crafts ahead of the impending arrival of the Great British Bake Off with the ultimately dreary Noel Fielding. Or in its role as a public service broadcaster, did Channel 4 writes Ian Highland simply want to help out those middle-class viewers who've not escaped a bite of austerity. It was very odd. They were doing all sorts of things with bits of string and, and, and sort of... I thought, if ever you go into somebody's... Ha- I used to have an uncle years ago. I've still got quite a few uncles. But this particular one used to hand-make his Christmas cards. He had literally hand-drew them all. And, uh, and so you'd, all, you'd always know if it was one of his cards, because the envelope would be handwritten. He'd done it in uh, calligraphy. And so it was all, it was all very nice. And, uh, and then he'd do the cards, and he'd do a little drawing or something like that. But mainly it was writing inside there, which I thought was quite sweet. He also made his own wine. You don't find people making wine anymore now, do you? People don't... You used to better go into Boots the Chemist and, and buy a kit... So you could make your own beer at home, brew your own beer, and you bought a barrel and you got all this other stuff. It's cheaper to go and buy it, isn't it? Or pe- people are making uh, nettle and burdock wine or something like that. Never quite understood it, but there you go. Some people like it. Uh, bad news if you got stuck at 180 feet. This is Alton Towers roller coaster. 180 feet up. I'd have been frightened out of my life. But there again, I get frightened easily. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Ten to six is the time. Welcome to Wednesday. I know. It's funny, isn't it? We're sort of whizzing through this month. We're up to the 26th of July already. And then the next thing, then we're into August. My friend Ian says it's about five months to Christmas. Which is not, it's not that far away, is it? I'm, I got, I'm, I'm quite excited, really, because I think very shortly we should be seeing Christmas goodies in the shops. I know you think that's a terrible thing, but I, I promise you, if, if you like Christmas, if you're a bit childlike about Christmas, as indeed I am, then, uh, then you'll, you'll probably love the idea that stuff could be in the shops very quickly. So it's five months until the bell rings. And uh, that means five months, says Ian, until I watch It's a Wonderful Life. But you don't, but you don't need to have, wait for five months to watch It's a Wonderful Life. Because I feel you can watch Christmas films in the summer. You just get the, uh, the benefit of, of Christmas in July. I don't see there's anything the matter with that. Do you think that I, I mean, I know people think I'm slightly peculiar, but I think to, to enjoy Christmas and enjoy the... Because it's over so quickly. I don't get a chance to enjoy it, really, because I'm, I'm working. So I sort of work and then drive to have two Christmas dinners every year, which is, you know, it's the same thing, but I love it. And uh, last year, I think, was about the best year we've ever had. Crispy roast potato, really crispy roast potatoes. Really, really good. Both, both sides of the family, absolutely brilliant. So here we are back at Alton Towers. This is the Oblivion. And, um, oh, dear, it gets stuck at a height of 180 feet. Well, I'm sorry, I would freeze. 
not freeze physically, but sort of I, w- I, I would be a bit immobile uh, because somebody has to get up there and then they sort of get you off and then you walk along a thing, holding on to it. Admittedly, there is a rail that you can get on. Uh, the carriage they're in is tipped slightly backwards because it goes over the top. It's a vertical drop down. Um, uh, staff climbed the oblivion to rescue the group. Uh, one of the witnesses, who's called Alex, says the very anxious passengers passengers were stuck there for quite a while. The theme park said the ride stopped because uh, a sensor detected a minor technical fault. Well, that doesn't that doesn't make me feel any better. I thought they'd sorted out Oblivion, or was that another one? But anyway, so people did go down, clinging on to, I mean, 180 feet up in the air. And it's literally just as it's about to go, it turns a corner, then it drops vertically. They've got them all over the place. It's, I mean, it's a lovely ride, and it's very scary. It's even more scary when the blooming thing stops, I should imagine. Um, there was another story in the paper, which is uh, the Grand Masters of Pop. The top ten favourite works by Brits. And they've got everything. And there's some very well-known ones. Obviously, Constable's The Haywain. There's always been discussion over what The Haywain is. Is it um, a horse and cart that's got stuck in the river? Or is it something completely different? Is it is it a key snapshot of working shot life? Or is it, uh, or is it something completely different? The Singing Butler by uh, Jack Vitrano. Vitriano. And that one's very famous, with the umbrellas. And uh, it's sold, the original of this one, 1992, for £744,000. And it's it's a very famous picture. The Fighting Temeraire by Turner, J.M.W. Turner, which is, uh, which is a beautiful picture. The Angel of the North is Anthony Gormley's huge statue. I've seen it, but I've never actually seen it. Uh, also, Going to the Match by Lowry is at number six. And uh, he did the Matchstick Men and Women. The Lady of Shalott by John William Waterhouse. Uh, is uh, is number seven. Sergeant Pepper, Peter Blake and Jan Hayworth is at number eight. I thought that was a great album cover. I'm pleased to say that uh, The Dark Side of the Moon, Hygnosis and George Hardy is at number nine. Number ten, Mares and Folds by George Stubbs. George Stubbs was known as a, a painter of horses. In fact, somebody, somebody asked me a short while ago, so who would have painted this horse? And I said, Stubbs. I mean, how do you know that? I said, I've got no idea. But number one... It's Banksy's Balloon Girl. Um, And Banksy's work sell for seven-figure sums, despite essentially being graffiti. And still very few people knowing who he is, but there's no doubt he deserves to be in the top ten. This one was from 2002, and she's in black and white, and the balloon is a little heart-shaped balloon. And uh, and it it sort of is slipping through her, her fingers. The message is what makes it all so modern and meaningful. And that's probably one of the most expensive items on there, because, you know, if you can find Banksy, then you've, uh, you've found the fortune. People see it and go, it's a Banksy, it's a Banksy. We haven't had one for ages. So uh, perhaps we are, we are due one. I like the idea of, of having a new Banksy. And then somebody goes, well, he was listening to the programme and he decided that he was going to go and, uh, and do one. And so I quite like that idea. Tips on how to beat the inheritance tax trap in your money in the Express today. And Trump trade joy for Britain. The president promises big and exciting deal. Also, the Jimmy Choo Shoe Empire sells for just under the billion, £896 million. Wow. Uh, Bond's back, but will it be Daniel? Yes, I think so. I think it'll be Daniel. I don't think it's going to be anybody else. They're not going to put it out, are they, to tender on this one? Because I think for a paycheck of, what was it, something like 40-odd million pounds, it's, uh, it's not, not bad money. Not bad money. Uh, the secret to happiness, says Ian, you must remember, 
is a cigar by Hamlet, the mild cigar from Benson and Hedges. And then used to get that other advert, oh, Benson and Hedges, used to say this woman's voiceover. But it was a, a mild cigar by, uh, by Hamlet. I think it was, yes, I think it was, yeah, definitely. So that was it. Seven million people watched that programme with Harry and his brother on talking about Mum Diana. Shows that the, the interest in Princess Diana is still there. Even after 20 years, there is still enough to get... Because the biggest audience that they'd had for Love Island was 2.4 million, I think. And the Diana, the Diana documentary gets 7 million. That's, uh, that's how, how much sway she still holds with, uh, with the public. The public still like her a lot. Uh, also, the, um, the roadworks. Don't you just love roadworks when they've got detour? This is a great detour. This is a stretch of roadworks. It's 0.2 miles long. OK, 0.2 miles is not, not very much indeed. Unfortunately, it's forcing some drivers onto a marathon diversion of 38 miles. I mean, that's just ludicrous. Drainage work, including new pipes and gullies, carried out night and day on the road, which has been plagued by cracks and potholes. This is at Sherbourne Road in Yeovil in Somerset. Heavy goods vehicles, unfortunately it's you that gets pilloried on this one, are being diverted through the village of Templecombe, which is 12 miles away, then along the A303, down the A37, and finally to Lid Road in Yeovil. Light vehicles still face seven-and-a-half-mile diversions through the B3148 towards Marston, Magna, down the A358 and then Lid Road. Somerset County Council said the two 24-7 road closures is the only option to keep workers and road users safe because of deep excavations. Woo, lovely. How much money did Frank Sinatra leave? I don't think we ever discovered that, did we? But his uh, his widow has just died. That's, uh, that's Barbara. She was married for 22 years until he died in 1998. A family spokesman said she passed away from natural causes, surrounded by loved ones at her home in California. She was glamorous, very, very glamorous. And I did see, as you know, Frank Sinatra. I went to see him when he, uh, he came to London. It was, it was quite an experience, quite an experience. Uh, Pat in Brentwood says, uh, I think of you as a book I'm reading and visualise. And says, you talk about your garden. I have a patio, I have a patio which uh, we've printed pictures. Actually, there are photographs up on my uh, on my Twitter feed, at Steve Allen Show. And I did mention yesterday, I'm sure I did, uh, that I have a free podcast every day. Every day we do a free podcast. It's basically taking the Michael out of so-called people who think they're celebrities. And if you want to get hold of that, you just go to the LBC website, which is lbc.co.uk, download the free LBC app, and uh, once you've got that, you can listen to LBC all around the world. It's so much easier than having to sort of faff around. You can load it to your computer or your phone or your tablet, anything like that. And uh, that's free of charge. And we have free podcasts on certain programmes. Somebody will have to tell me, is James O'Brien out of that Radio Times thing? Somebody was sending, is he out of it? Oh, I think that's a po- How did that happen? Something's not right somewhere. It's very odd, isn't it? Because the LBC audience are very, very loyal, and you've done very well, so I'm very pleased. But uh, somebody was saying there appears to be this this programme, which is sort of um, sort of adding up points to sort of somebody else. It's, it sort of became a little bit a little bit odd. That's all I could say. Odd. I had numerous people writing to me yesterday saying there's this thing here, and if if people log on to this, then they can do block block voting. I think it should be just one vote per person. It makes it easier. So so here we go. So the yeah, this is Brady Harron again. Oh, right. So, again, he got 81% and James O'Brien got 18%, which is roughly what I got. 
that's roughly the same thing, because I got roughly the same thing with Brady Harron. And so uh, so James got kicked out. As I say, if we knew who he was, I'd be, I'd be quite willing to hold my hands up. But I, I don't know who these people are on the internet. You know, if he was a radio presenter, I might have heard of him. But because he's on the internet, I don't know. So I think that's nearly the same figure that I got with Brady. Which makes you, makes you slightly suspicious, doesn't it? I think even James expressed some surprise the other day. I thought he was going to walk it. Oh, that's a shame. Never mind. Anyway, welcome to Wednesday. Nice to have your company. Philip Green's daughter and the worst boyfriend ever because he spent so much of his time in prison. I bet uh, Philip Green is going, get rid, get rid. The war on diesel getting very dirty. By 2040, we're going to be having no more new petrol and diesel cars. It'll be hamsters on wheels, I should imagine. Uh, the figure that men can't resist the Alton Towers ride. They're not having a bit of... Uh, any good publicity, are they, at all? Uh, Charlie Gard's parents now appear to be turning on Great Ormond Street, saying they put up obstacles. Great Ormond Street saying, no, we haven't. And uh, the wolf shot dead because it escaped from a zoo. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Stacey thought the red balloon was Italian. No, definitely French. Definitely Francais. It was, uh, yes, French director and his son who played the part. Uh, Mo says, I love Christmas too. See, I'm, I'm never out on a limb on this one. I know the majority of people go, you can't be talking about Christmas already. Or sprouts. I had sprouts yesterday again. It's not right, is it? I don't know why. I've just returned from, uh, from York and they have a Christmas shop open all year. That way I get a dose of Christmas spirit in July. I think it should be all the time. All the time. There used to be a Christmas shop here. You know that they were sort of, they were forced out. And uh, what went in there? Surprise, surprise. A coffee shop. Ridiculous. I'd much rather have a Christmas shop. They just make it so expensive and so prohibitive that people get forced out. People who bring lots of happiness. A coffee shop. It doesn't matter, does it, whether they make money because they're all offset against each other. So there might be one that covers for the other one. Because sometimes you look and think, how are you still surviving? I don't know. Steve, is it just me, says Dave? Well, I don't know. Is it you? Look in a mirror. If it looks like you, it's definitely you. He says, every time I pick up the Metro or Evening Standard, I see a picture of Cara Delevingne. Is she famous? No. She's a model. Uh, but apparently now she's actress. And, um, and that's it. But then, you know, everybody gets their five minutes, as Andy Warhol used to say. Everybody gets their five minutes of fame. Some people drag it out torturously, a little bit like Katie Price or Daniela Westbrook or the ridiculous person in the, uh, in the paper today. Uh, somebody says, um, uh, long-time listener, recommend a nice hotel around Leicester Square for me and the wife? No. Uh, this is London. They're phenomenally expensive. The only way you're going to get cheap hotels, I should imagine, is, uh, is you know, or sort of inexpensive hotel. I don't even know what an average hotel would cost. Travel lodges we've got. We've got some, I should imagine, these hotels here next door. Can you find me a price on that one next door? Just a matter of, I'd, I'd be curious to find out, actually. We have a hotel, which is... I thought it'd be quite pricey. I know that the breakfast in this hotel, which is very close to our front door, is about 27 quid, because I've taken my boss there before now. I had to take out a loan. I had to sign, sign my life away, I think, on that one. But uh, an, an average room for the night in this hotel, very near to our front door. This is uh, central London. You don't get more, more central than here. You really don't. OK, that's quite nice. This is... Um, it's a Radisson. For this weekend, can you do me a price? That's... Uh, oh, there you go. Is this per person or is this the room rate? I don't know. This is... Um, yeah, we're not sure. It's £274. But I don't know if that's per person or whether it's... Wait a minute. Uh, superior room for... You can, you can upgrade to a superior room or a business room for an extra £64. But 274 Now, whether or not that is for the room 
That's per night, is it? Oh, well, that's not 270. I said, I don't know. I, I feel a bit embarrassed spending that much. That's a queen bed, apparently, which is sort of just the one under a king size. Unfortunately, it's, it's quite noisy, Leicester Square. I'm assuming that, you know, it'll all be, uh, it'll all be sort of soundproofed and all that kind of stuff. But uh, they have suites as well, which are quite nice. They look quite nice. You should have a bath in the window. I'm not sure about having a bath in the window. I would worry that somebody could see you sitting in the bath. You know, you think you're being all clever. They're not very big suites. It's got a sofa in there and everything like that, and you can sit there looking out. But uh, how, how, how much is a, is a suite for the night? So 274 for a, for a normal room, and we've got a, a suite here, which looks quite nice. This is, oh, £294. That's OK, isn't it? They seem to be stuck up in the eaves, don't they, these things? I thought they'd look a bit more luxurious than that. But nevertheless, it's all right. So that's about, you know, that's right in the middle of Leicester Square, but it is... Uh, it's, it's sort of, it's a bit noisy over the weekend, I would think. You know, it's not an area you'd wander around. There's prettier places in London, prettier places. You know, you could go and stay down Piccadilly at the Ritz. I would like to imagine how much a thing at the Ritz or the, Ritz or the Dorchester was. Or go on to Park Lane and you've got places down there. They're all quite expensive, aren't they? It's the Langham, the Lanesborough, they're all nice, nice hotels. Different people stay in different hotels. You know, people get used to what it is. So, I mean, because I don't stay in London... Uh, I wouldn't really know the prices. It always surprises me when I look at how much they're, they're charging for rooms. Anyway, it's nice to have your company. I wish you well with that one. Somebody else will probably recommend things a little bit later on. Um, the um, Katie Price, ghastly makeover again. Daisy looking out for Louise Redknapp. Boring story. Uh, the feet-up deck chairs set to stay free. The council thought they charge two quid a day. And 300 people went, you're having a laugh on you. Why should we have to pay for something? It's a deck chair. So they've said, all right, you can have them for free. So people can sit there. Pensioners. Mind you, you know, if you're a pensioner, getting in and out of a deck chair is not the easiest thing in the world, is it? It's bad enough at my age. You get in a deck, it's one of those things, if you like, tip yourself out sideways. Uh, Daniel Craig, I think he's going to be the next James Bond. They're not going to risk it for somebody else. He's worth, he's worth paying the money to, so good for him. Uh, Kate Adie's fury at jobs for celebrities. Every so often, Kate Adie says something. And it's the it's the loose terminology, isn't it, of celebrity. What is a celebrity? Apparently, the people on Love Island are celebrities because they've had sex on television, which means that any people listening who are in the sex industry, you're all celebrities. Well done you, eh? Anybody in the adult film industry, all celebrities. That's what they say nowadays, don't they? So uh, everybody's a celebrity. You've all got your five minutes. The producer is a celebrity. You know, he has to be. He's working on this programme. This programme attracts celebrities. And so he must be a celebrity by the very fact that we've mentioned him on the programme. People know who he is. And he must have bumped into people and they've said, what do you do? And he said, I work on LBC. And they've said, oh, you don't know Steve Allen. He goes, know him? No. And um, and so that that makes him a celebrity. You know, it makes it's it's fame by association. And that's what people like nowadays, isn't it? So consequently, we bandy the word around like it means something. You know, the, you know, the star from, uh, you know, Made in Chelsea. There are no stars on Made in Chelsea. There's a few numpties who've sort of romped around the King's Road, and that's about it. Nobody's of any particular interest to anybody at all, unless they're particularly dim, and they seem to find loads of dim people on there. People who fall out, you know, because you slept with this one and I slept with that. That's all it comes down to. Seriously, the whole thing, we've just gone bonk mad. Listen to Lucy Beresford. It's all all about sex. Seriously, the whole thing is all... I know she's doing a sex programme, I quite understand that. But, I mean, that's all it's about nowadays. Every time you turn on the television, you know, there'll be something... They'll weave sex into it. I'm surprised that Blue Peter's not gone down that route and they've started having nude Blue Peter. Make it marginally more entertaining, I should imagine, for the cameramen. We did have a nude game show some years ago, didn't we? 
which was lovely. And, uh, and that was with Keith Chegwin. A lot of sympathy cards sent to his then wife. <laughs> Fancy appearing on television, start naked. And now it's quite commonplace. You know, people bonk on television. It gets front page headlines on the Daily Star and the, and the Sun. And people go, oh, we must be a celebrity. We must be a celebrity because we're mentioned on the front. I mean, be on the front page of a paper because you've had sex on television. How does that work out when we're dealing with far more serious issues like Charlie Gard's parents appearing, you know, in court again and their lawyer shouts and everybody shouts, everybody gets upset. You know, let Charlie Gard go home to die. No, leave him where he is. The hospital, you know, have the have the right, I think, I think, to, to have the decision on that. Uh, the, the judge can overrule it or he can say, listen, it's up to the hospital. If they think he stays in hospital and he uh, he dies in hospital well then that's what happens and uh, they can they can shout and scream as much as they like but that's what it comes down to they've been entrusted to look after him and that's what they've done to the best of their ability for a child who's got a most serious illness they've done great things they've kept him going for the best part of 8 months he should have died a long time ago they've only stalled because we've had various people coming over saying oh through the power of prayer we can save him no you can't a neurosurgeon who says, I've got this pioneering treatment uh, that can save him, which was, of course, the worst thing he could have said because he'd never even seen Charlie. He'd never read anything about him. He didn't know anything about the case at all. When eventually he comes over and examines him, he suddenly realises there's nothing that they can do, which is what Great Ormond Street said all the time. Uh, Charlie Gard's parents are now saying that Great Ormond Street have put up obstacles all the way along, which, of course, is basically throwing it all back in the faces of the nurses and the doctors who've worked so hard to try and do as much as they possibly can. So thanks a bunch there. But uh, it, it'll turn out that poor little Charlie will die and uh, hopefully it'll be peaceful. I don't think they should start moving him around. But that's my opinion. That's my opinion. It's up to them to decide when they go back to court and they'll abide by what the, the judge says. Uh, more people left uh, stranded on Alton Towers ride. They're not having a good year at all, are they? You take your life in your hands when you go to theme park. You assume that they work all the time, but occasionally something happens. You can imagine if that ride had tipped over the top and then it had jammed. Well, how they'd get people out, I've got no idea. You just have to sit there praying that the the thing that's holding you in doesn't open up. That, that would frighten the life out of me. Absolutely. Uh, plus, uh, the other one now. Men are paid to look after the wife, says the casualty star. Jason Manford's going to record an album. He said if loads of other people can do it, he's going to do it as well. I don't know whether or not that's a good idea. There's nothing to stop people trying it, is there? Let's face it, if it was good enough for Katie Price, Jason Manford must be uh, second best there. Philip Green's daughter and the worst boyfriend that she's ever had in her life. But there again, she obviously couldn't care less what her parents think. Because I should imagine Philip Green must be really worrying about a convicted criminal since the age of 18 who's uh, dumped his wife and children to go out with, uh, with Philip Green's daughter. He must be going, don't bring him on the yacht, don't bring him on the yacht. Thank you very much indeed. And 60 years as the nation's grandmother. But how much is she paid I'll tell you about that one in a moment. And uh, what was the other one, quickly? Oh, the um, the top works of art, Banksy, is number one. And yet there's probably many of you listening who've never even seen a Banksy. But let me tell you, they sell for a lot of money. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Somebody says queen size is bigger than king size. No, it's not. No, it's not. The 16 inches in it. I happen to know this. Uh, a queen bed is 60 inches and a king size is 76 inches wide, both the same length, both both 80 inches 
uh, long, which I think is about 203 centimetres. So you get more on the king size. You get 38 inches per person as opposed to the queen bed, which is only 30 inches. There you go. Happy with that one? Good. Just like to, you know, clear it all up just to keep people... Because I used to worry as well about, you know, how much bedding... You know, you need to carry nowadays and how much I was looking at a flat the other day in Shoreditch in London. It's a penthouse. It's, it used to be an old factory. Three point nine five million. Uh, but it looks quite nice. actually. It's got a big sort of one of these big warehouse type flats. And then I thought, oh, I'm not sure I could live in Shoreditch. If you live around Shoreditch, you'll know it's like party town. You get lots of people partying there. They've got loads of bars and clubs and all sorts of things like that. 21 minutes past uh, six is uh, the time. So it's it's Charlie Gard. And uh, we don't know where this goes today. I mean, we really don't know. The the judge will make a decision. And then based on that, on where Charlie Gard uh, finally ends his life, I'm I'm thinking that maybe it would be better in the hospital that's looked after him for, for eight months. I can't think of, uh, of, of any other place that he could go to. You know, if he goes home, the hospital have said he's going to need six nurses with him. Can they spare six nurses from the hospital? And then, you know, how long would he be surviving? Would this be a matter of days after they turn the life support off? Or would it be a matter of minutes? We don't, we don't know. That's the one thing. You can't sort of road test this. That's what's so awful about it. And uh, the killer of Stephen Lawrence, front page of the Mirror, gets legal aid to sue after he was attacked in jail, whilst Charlie Gard's parents don't get it. Although I believe that their lawyer at the moment is working for free. And I don't believe that they've incurred any any fees at the moment. It's the, it's the going back and 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 basically uh, attacking Great Ormond Street, who've who've done what they can do. They can do no more. They did all the right things. They were right from the very the very off that this was a a seriously ill child, and there was nothing more that they could do for him. And it was then that people start coming forward saying, "Oh, we know a doctor, a neurosurgeon who can do this." And so they then get excited and they and they go right. Think things are going to change? No, no. As I pointed out before, the neurosurgeon from America who came over was making pronouncements without having ever having seen Charlie. He didn't know his records. He hadn't seen anything at all. He'd never examined him. Once he'd examined him, he then realised that what Great Ormond Street Hospital had been saying all along was absolutely right, that uh, this, uh, this child stood no chance of recovery at all. But the judge will rule today on uh, where Charlie dies. I'm hoping they say at Great Ormond Street. I'm only saying that because I don't think a little baby like that should be moved. But then... That's that's just my gut feeling. You know, that's how I'd be feeling if that was my child. I'd be saying, listen, don't don't please move him from here. Make it as comfortable as possible because he doesn't know, does he? He doesn't know because he's not a year old yet. He doesn't know what's you know, what's going on. He doesn't know that all of a sudden his life support's going to be turned off. That's what's so awful about the whole thing. Somebody's had to make that decision. Uh, Lego Batman movie costumes have been recalled amid fears they could become a fireball. We've had trouble with children's dressing up costumes before. It's a very popular thing to do. You see, I see kids all the time. Even on a Saturday in, in Twickenham, you get somebody will dress up as Spider-Man or, you know, Green Cross Code or something like that. But anyway, uh, these particular... Costumes uh, are manufactured Jack's Pacific. Uh, 362 of them had failed to meet strict EU standards. The firm has voluntarily recalled the outfits. They're £30 costumes, and they've said, if you bought one, check the label for the date code 2606EF01. And it says here, uh, a safety notice on the website says, if you bought or possess a Lego Batman movie prestige costume with a date code 
2606EFOL. Please do not wear it. The material does not meet, meet applicable EU fire safety standards. And uh, a notice to the firm take safety very seriously. You'll remember that Claudia Winkleman's daughter Matilda was badly burnt when her Halloween outfit caught fire. Claudia says she went up. It's the only way I know how to uh, to describe it. So these are Lego Batman movie costumes, OK, from Prestige, with the date code 2606EF01. OK, if they're on there, do not put it on your child. OK. See, that thing, I think, needs to be on all television programmes, if it's that dangerous. And I think they've recalled... They had a run of 362 of them. 362. So just be uh, just be aware that there are, there are dangers out there. Some of these things are very flimsy. You see, especially for the little girls, they've got all sorts of uh, costumes, which, you know, you've got to check for these tire, fire retardant uh, labels. Also, the Love Island winners are destined to rake in a fortune. Why? They haven't shown any talent, as far as I could see on the television. This is Kem and Amber, uh, who've announced that they're going to get married by, uh, you know, before Christmas. Well, you've got to. You've got to capitalise on it as quick as possible. Might as well do, do the fake wedding. Because if you seriously think it's going to last when you know somebody for, for less than, what is it, three, three months? Well, for goodness sake, I mean, honestly. An average audience of 2.6 tuned in to, uh, to watch Amber, 20, and uh, Kem, 21, claim the Sex Mad reality show £50,000 prize. So they've got £25,000 each. I'm assuming that's how it works. And then, of course, don't forget you've got tax to pay. I'd hate to think that you're going to do a Joe Swash and declare yourselves bankrupt. Um, but they think that they're going to get loads of endorsements. From whom? I have no idea. They have no... There's no talent whatsoever. They're not particularly interesting or... You're not going to see them up on billboards, are you, or anything like that? Somebody says she was a complete unknown before Love Island. And uh, this is... Uh, it's... Uh, oh, somebody here assigned to a showbiz agency, which looks after Kate Wright. God. <laughs> I'm sure that's marvellous. But uh, one... She's in, in... She's in talk... She's 20. She's in talks with a book deal. A raft of youth fashion companies, including Silk Fred, La Soula and AX Paris. Never heard of any of them. Have you? No. She's also in talks for a book deal, plus regularly appearing on ITV2, as well as earning tens of thousands for personal appearances. Well, what would be the point of that? Not she turns up in a discotheque and they go, well, here she is. OK, first one. OK. And uh, <laughs> how else? It's all she's famous for. Appearing on television and having sex. What's the, what's the point of that? I don't quite understand it. And they say she could earn millions in endorsements. I wouldn't be buying anything that a 20-year-old has, has, is, is advertising, I'm afraid, whether they're endorsing or not. Ridiculous, honestly. Uh, most expensive places to park. You know when you go to the seaside, because now the kids are on holiday. Aren't you thrilled, ladies and gentlemen? Uh, <laughs> not really, no. I'm thrilled because the, the trains are quite quiet. But uh, cost for the day in the Brighton Centre, £30. Pre-booking price... £8.25, saving £21, and that's through your parking space. You save 73%. £30 for the day to park. Good Lord. So you can pre-book it for £8.25. Uh, Blackpool, 10 quid. Pre-book it for a fiver. That's also your parking space. Uh, Bournemouth, £18 normally. I can't believe they charge these prices for the seaside. £6.25 through your parking space. Dreamland in Margate. You see, you want to be there all day, don't you? It's normally £12, £6.25 through your parking space. You're saving £5.75. The best saving, though, is um, is the £8.25 for Brighton. Because Brighton's very popular, mainly with Londoners going down there. £30 to park all day. You'd be mad, wouldn't you? 
to go down there and spend that sort of money. In Southend-on-Sea, £12, but you can do it through Just Park for £2.50, saving £9-odd. Uh, Tynmouth, that's the seafront car park called Beaconsfield, £9.60, you can get it for a fiver. And uh, the same in Whitley Bay, £9.60, get it for £3.80. I think, actually, £2.50 is about the best value I've seen. But uh, you can save quite a bit. Save £21 by parking in Brighton by paying only £8.25 and you do it through your parking space. It's obviously one of these places that sort of finds cheap parking or they can do a deal with you. And you could stay there all day because you'd want to do that, wouldn't you? As opposed to be, if you're going down to the seaside, you just want to go, oh, we'll just be here a few hours. It's so expensive in London to park. What is it? Something like £18. £18 in Covent Garden down the road for about four hours. It's phenomenal, but you can't do anything about it because you don't know how long you're going to be having your lunch, do you? OK, quick time check. We'll go through the front pages of the papers in a moment. We take more of your texts and emails. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. It's a big decision, isn't it? The hospital, hospital have said it's too much. And so that's who you have to go with. You have to go with with the experts. So, you know, but they obviously don't want to go with the experts. They want to sort of, you know, make up their own mind. But then, you know, what do you expect them to sit the hospital to do? I tell you what, let's just unplug him. You, 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 you take him home. But they don't want that. They want the hospital to, to take him home. But they can't get the bed through the door. So what are we going to do? Sort of knock half the house down or something. It's only in Bedfont. It's only down the road from me. And uh, they'll be besieged by the press. Whereas, in fact, it's a private moment, isn't it? Do you think the press would leave them alone? No. Are the press going to be outside the hospital? Of course. Of course. Uh, also, the mystery. They've all come up with this very odd mystery, which is Gary Lineker. I mean, I think Gary Lineker himself is a bit of a mystery. So he's still with his ex-wife. I suppose because she's discovered he's getting £1.75 million a year. And uh, they're seen together so often. March, January, July. And um, they split up over a year ago and she's carrying another man's baby. Rather peculiar relationship, isn't it? It's a bit like Prince Andrew, you know, and Sarah Ferguson tells anybody who'll listen, or can be bothered to listen, you know, she, she lives, she relies on him for everything. You know, she doesn't have her own place. She's living, I think, in an annex in the, in the Queen Mother's old house. So Andrew does what he wants. The Queen doesn't interfere because she doesn't with her children. And, uh, and everybody just sort of goes on with it. Uh, Charles says, we went to London Zoo on Saturday and the parking was 60 quid without pre-booking and £14.50. If you pre-booked your ticket. I've never heard of this pre-booking parking thing. It's a bit, of, a bit of a novelty for me. I've heard of people buying tickets. They get very confused around Leicester Square. Very confused. Tourists get very confused. Because we have a half-price ticket booth in Leicester Square. It is an official from the Society of West End Theatre. It's directly opposite our front door. It's a brick-built place. And then you've got lots of other little bucket shops all the way around Leicester Square going half-price tickets. Official half-price tickets. It's a load of old baloney. That's the only official one. Down there, I could, if I stood up and peered around the corner, I could probably see the blooming thing. But it's the only one directly opposite our front door. That's the official half-price ticket booth. The other ones are just sort of selling all sorts of things. All sorts of things. Uh, front pages of the papers for today. Uh, the Daily Mail. Oh, dear Theresa, our fashion editor's verdict on the Prime Minister's pink holiday dress. Who cares what fashion editors think? Who cares? And so they basically sort of said, you know, what are you wearing? Admittedly, it's a bit of a lumpy, frumpy outfit. But she might be happy in that. I might be. I mean, I bought three shirts yesterday. Three shirts yesterday. And uh, the girl behind the counter in Master Spencer's, I thought they were all quite nice. She said, oh, she said, they're my favourites. 
I felt, I said, oh, good. I felt, I'm quite old, really, to be buying this sort of thing. And one of them's a nice one. It's got penguins on it, and it's a black shirt. And it was £28, which is about my maximum to spend on a shirt. I know you can get shirts that cost 100 and 200 and I bought Tommy Bahama shirts, and they're twice as much money. But I quite like this shirt. I thought it's, it's, sort of, it's a bit young and trendy. I might wear it tomorrow when I've got an in-conversation to record, just to sort of, you know, make myself look a bit young. And tr- You're going to look at somebody wearing it, because it's quite a good shirt. The one this morning's not particularly exciting. Although the producer said he really liked it. He said when I came, he said, I really like that shirt. Because, you know, I'm sure if I sort of, you know, left it casually draped over a chair or something, he'd be walking off with it a little bit later on. Uh, also, uh, tolls on polluted roads and all petrol and diesel vehicles banned from 2040. The war on diesels, getting dirty. And uh, they're going to uh, launch this one. It's going to improve air quality. Is it really that bad? Is it really that bad air quality? Apparently so. From around 2020, town halls will be allowed to levy extra charges on diesel drivers. Haven't been told by governments, by diesel. Now they're telling you we're going to penalise you for having a diesel car. So from 2040, drivers will be able to buy electric cars only ending a 150-year reign of the internal combustion engine. But, of course, there will still be petrol cars out there. So don't think that all of a sudden garages are going to be closing down and you're going to be sort of plugging your car into anything because you will be buying petrol. Because most cars, I think if it's a hybrid, does that not do petrol and electric? So you still need to put petrol in there. So you will still better buy. What are they going to be, just all electric cars? Sound a bit dreary, isn't it, really? But of course, they obviously, all these people who are putting forward these plans, they won't be around by 2040 anyway, so it probably won't make any difference at all. Uh, Daily Star today will wed before Christmas. They've known each other about... That quick. And they're going to get wed now. Fantastic. Of course, it'll last about five minutes. A little bit like, um, was it Chanel uh, or Chantel? Chantel, I think. Chantel Houghton and her little boyfriend, uh, who was in a group, and they both met in the Big Brother house. Then they get married. And then, of course, it was doomed because he was from one side of the planet and she was from another side of the planet. And... Um, and these two as well. She's only 20. I'm sure her parents will be going, that's exciting, dear. She's had sex on television. Now you're going to get married to this bloke. And you think that's going to last you. The public will be bored with you by the time they get round to the next Love Island. They'll have moved on. They'll have... What, what these people don't realise, that's why they've said, we'll wed before Christmas and have a baby in the new year. Yep. And then he'll dump you. And then we'll have another single mother going, you know, because I'm looking, you know, it's got Babby and all this kind of... So we'll have all the pictures and all the, all the rubbish that we get from the Fahir's girls. Uh, also, the you pay for Beck's lookalike. This is some overweight Jack Johnson bloke who thinks he wants to look like David Beckham. He doesn't uh, work. He's on benefits. He reckons he's going to spend a lot of money in Poland. And they're going to turn him into looking like David Beckham. He's fat, overweight, balding, and he thinks he can look like David Beckham. What for? You'd be better off actually looking at the picture of you going out there and saying, I'd rather look like RuPaul. There's no point in saying you look like David Beckham. You don't know anything like David Beckham. But of course, you know, he'll be on television. I bet you anything, by the end of today, or failing that, the loose women who always have to listen to this programme to try and come up with, uh, with stories will be going, OK, let's do that story in the programme today. You know, would you want to look like your favourite person? So have a couple of drearies on the panel. Who, uh, who'll be going, he doesn't look anything like it. And there'll be somebody on there to try and do the balance, going, well, you know, let him do that. And somebody else will be going, he's on benefits. What are you talking about? Not supposed to be, you know, on benefits, changing your appearance to look like David Beckham. I don't think this one's even got any tattoos, but he's far too fat. Needs to lose about five stone before we get anywhere near it. And he can't play football either. So what's it? But he wants the lifestyle. That's what people think it is now. They think there's a lifestyle that goes with, you know, if you're David Beckham. Like, you know, David Beckham hasn't played football and advertised pants. You'd pay for this bloke not to be seen wearing pants or drinking whiskey. You'd pay for him to go and get a job. 
Apparently he can't have a job because he suffers from depression. But as I said before, there are loads of people who've got depression who, who manage to get jobs. You know, it's manageable, but he... Oh, can't work. I think people like that, you know. I think they have to take away benefits. I think we've just got to start clamping down. It's ridiculous. He's only young. Was he going to be on benefits for the rest of his life? And then spend it. We've had it with sort of all these other peculiars who pop up all over the place. Uh, the Sun this morning, Kem and Amber exclusive. Yes, the two... Oh, we've had sex. We've had sex uh, under a blow-up turtle. Uh, we've had lust on the settee in the middle of the day, and we even tried it in the wardrobe. Class acts, aren't they, really? Parents must be so thrilled with you both, the way you've turned out. How lovely, honestly. You're a credit to the younger generation. You really are. It's amazing. I think you should just make make a programme, you know, about, you know, how we met on a television programme, and we're both sort of desperate for it, so we just had sex. I might have to phone Lucy Beresford. I'm getting too upset by these things now. She might have to guide me and say, but Steve, having sex is OK. And I'm going to have to say, Lucy, I know sex is OK. This I understand from memory. But let me tell you, you know, we don't want to see it on the television. You know, this is basically coming down to, to a couple. I don't, I don't object to them having sex. It's having sex on the television and then bragging about it. We had sex under a blow-up turtle. How big was the blow-up turtle? That's what I want to know. Never get used to things like that. Never get used to things like that. Uh, the Daily Mirror, how you can beat the seaside parking rip-offs, which we told you about. It's pre-booking. It's pre-booking. Here's little Gary Lineker trailing around behind his uh, pregnant ex, Danielle, pregnant with another man. What he's doing there, I've got no idea. Perhaps it's some deal they've done so that she, you know, she's, she just wanders around. Uh, also, Justice Scandal, the killer of Stephen Lawrence, gets legal aid to sue after he was attacked in jail. Whilst Charlie Gard's parents are denied it. But they don't need it. They don't need it because the lawyer working for them has said he'll work for free. So there you go. So that's fine. Beyond belief, they say. Not really. What, what would they do with the money? They're getting it for free at all. But it's blatant injustice, they say. Uh, outrage over state's funds for Stephen Thug. So he was beaten up in, in prison. To be honest with you, I couldn't care less. I'd forgotten about him a long, long time ago. The judge will rule today on the home death for uh, for Charlie, and then presumably we go into the next stage. I don't know what the next stage is, actually, with sort of Charlie Gard. I don't know whether or not they will then be writing a book or selling a story and they'll then get an agent, because I, I don't see this as being the, the end at all. I really don't. Kinky Boots last Thursday, Steve. Standing ovation lasted five minutes. Well done, Kevin. It's great musical. It's great. Go see 42nd Street if you want to smile. And, and then write back to me and tell me that you couldn't stop your feet tapping in the seat. Great show. Also, American in Paris, good show. Wicked, good show. Loads of good shows around at the moment. The Harry Potter, just up the road from us here. There's so many good shows. I've never known a time in London where we've had that many really, really good shows. I love it. And also, this is just the time to go. Just the time to go. When the theatres need you, and they really do need you. Jason, the sovereign driver, has a birthday this weekend. We don't know which one. Like, um, like our lovely Irish girl in Marks and Spencers. I was very good. I didn't mention her age the other day, mainly because I couldn't possibly get it. I, didn't, I don't like to reveal people's ages, unless people tell you. If people tell you their age, like the producer, because he, he said, I said, how old are you? He said, you know how old I am. I said, well, I've forgotten. So he told me. I went, oh, right. But I, I never, you know, people like keeping their age. I know people in this building who keep their ages a secret. There's a radio presenter very close to here. Very close. He won't tell anybody his age, but we found out anyway. <laughs> because I wondered always why, why people want to keep their age a secret. Is it because people have an idea in their mind of how old they think they are? And I think if you say a certain age, people go, oh, do people treat you differently if you're older? Or do, 
How old am I? I've told people before, I'm 43. I, um... <laughs> you see, I always think, if I tell people how old I am, and they go, oh... I mean, sometimes... I mean, I don't think it's, it's a secret. I think it's all over the internet. They say Steve Allen always admits to uh, 43, nearer 63. And you think, but it's, it's just numbers, isn't it? The producer wasn't even born when I started doing this programme. That's how embarrassing it is. It's really, it's embarrassing, isn't it? I'm so far ahead of you in terms of radio, and you're, you weren't even thought about. His parents hadn't even thought about, yeah, we have a night at the Barbie, and then I think we might actually go for a child. Oh, we can't, can we? Because we don't have a programme called Love Island to be on. We need a programme called Love Island to get ourselves in the mood, because if we think we're being filmed by people... <laughs> I think we'll take a break. You're listening to a podcast from LBC. Morning, everybody. Just in case you're uh, clock-watching, 12 minutes to 7. 12 minutes to 7. It's Steve Allen's Early Breakfast. Nick Ferrari with you at 7 o'clock this morning. Uh, don't forget, we've got a free podcast for you, as usual, Monday through Friday, and our podcast service. So there's a free podcast and the podcast service. I'm still getting over the shot that James O'Brien was beaten by the same bloke who beat me in the Radio Times poll. And it was roughly exactly the same figures. Even more peculiar. Even more peculiar. So it's summer holidays. You're all setting off, are you? In the cars, booked flights, going somewhere interesting. Bit of sunshine. Don't want to stay here, Steve. It rains. And people get really cross if they go abroad and, and then it rains. I can remember we went on holiday ages ago and the weather wasn't particularly brilliant. And uh, there was one member of our party who was not very happy at all with the idea that there was, that it, was, it rained on one day. Have you ever been on a beach holiday where it rains? You know, and you think, this is ridiculous. We had it in Gran Canaria where it never rains. And it was the worst holiday I've ever been on in my entire life. It rained and rained and rained and rained. And it was just awful because all their hotels don't have heating or anything like that. And you don't have thick blankets on the bed because it's normally so hot. You normally end up lying on top of the, the bed. Uh, Nicola says, uh, I went to see Beautiful on Monday. My uncle treated me. It was fabulous. I'd see it again before it ends in a few weeks. Yes, I always think, you know, you cannot beat, and I keep trying to impress on people, only because I'm a big fan of theatre in London. In fact, big fan of big, big fan of theatre, full stop. And I always try to say to people, go and see a theatre show, because it takes you out of yourself. You'll come out, depending on which show you go and see, and you'll go, do you know, that was well worth it. Well worth it. It's a, it might be a little bit expensive, but it's a treat, isn't it? Even if you do it once every three months or something like that, go see a show. If you're sort of my kind of age, you know, we're, we're, we're sort of 40s and upwards, you know, you're going to enjoy seeing, you know, a lot of money spread out over a stage. I always feel cheated if I go to a show and the curtains go up and there's not very much scenery. I like to see a lot of a lot of action on the stage. And so you get it with an American in Paris. You get it with um, what was the other show that we raved about? There was another show that we absolutely loved, apart from 42nd Street uh, and Wicked and Kinky Boots. Uh, any of those shows, it's something that sort of that gets you going and you think it's worth it, you know. The only thing that's blooming expensive is your drinks in the interval. I wish they'd bring the price of those down. And the ice creams and stuff like that. So I'm always a bit naughty. When I go to the theatre, I always take a bottle of water because I'm not paying prices that, you know, perhaps I'm mean or something. And I always take a packet of fr fruit gums because <laughs> I work on the assumption fruit, fruit gums will last a long time. If I take Werther's Originals, it's rubbish because, you know, you just one after the other after the other and they're noisy. Fruit, fruit gums, whenever we go to Saddle as Wells at Christmas, which is, a, which is a, a ritual for me, I always take four packets of fruit gums and we all get a packet of fruit gums and we all sit there eating fruit gums and watching Matthew Bourne, which is great. Daily Express today, Trump trade joy for Britain and tips on how to beat the inheritance tax trap. It's ridiculous, isn't it? When you, 
when you sort of die, you, you leave money, but then the government take a load off you. Having taken tax off you for the whole of your life, now they take more money off you. I always think that's a bit of a swizz. I feel like being a little bit cheated. So, But you can give away money throughout your life. Every year you can give away money. Uh, also, the Times this morning, milk can be branded inhumane, so say the ASA. End of diesel and petrol. Uh, and Daniel Craig, expected to play James Bond for a fifth time. She thinks so too, for about 43 million. I could do it. I could do that. I could jump off ships, you know, into burning water and stuff. I could do that. For 43 million, I could do that. I could get in the ring with Floyd Mayweather. He could beat the living daylights out of me. Provided they've given me 58 million, you can do what you like. I'll happily spend the next six months in hospital recovering. What's going to happen to poor old Connor? Little does he realise how fast it's going to be over. Charlie Gard, set to spend final days in a care hospice. They're jumping the gun a bit here. There's been no, uh, no guidance as yet from the, uh, from the courts. Uh, and also, office jargon, we love to hate. Do you have office jargon? We don't have... I don't think we have any office jargon here. Some of it is... That's a no-brainer. You've heard that. I tell you what I hear a lot in, in television programmes. Awesome. So-and-so, so-and-so, that's awesome. I've never used it. Game changer. That's a game changer. Have you heard that one before? A game changer. That's a product, an idea, or a process that represents a significant shift in thinking. We're on a journey. I said that to the producer this morning. I said, you know, we're on a journey on this programme. I said, I'm, I'm taking you along for the ride. I said, it's an experience to sort of to do a radio programme that attracts an audience. Is, is an experience for both of us. Well, for him especially. Uh, blue sky thinking... Creative thinking without limits. I've never heard of that one before. Whoever says that? A bit of blue sky thinking. And let's touch base. OK, as opposed to saying, OK, I'll, I'll speak to you tomorrow. Uh, I tell you what, let's touch base. Or failing that, the one that used to be in my day, give me a rain check. So somebody say, oh, should we have, um, uh, should, should we have a, a get-together next week? Give me a rain check on that. Give me a rain check. These are, this is sort of normal office parlance. I don't know why. It's odd, isn't it, the thing? Offices are completely different to they used to be. In, uh, in my day. Uh, male fertility in peril. This is the eye today. Sperm count of Western men falls by half in 40 years. That's a worrying thing for you this morning, isn't it? Bit of a worry, if you're thinking, you know, about, you know, something. Uh, urgent wake-up call, as experts say, strong decline is set to continue. Chemicals, smoking and obesity singled out as possible causes. Well, certainly chemicals, which seem to be in everything. I'm a bit worried about chlorine-washed chicken. Chlorine washed chicken. We've had saline washed chicken, now we've got chlorine. Also, bad romance, cost of online dating fraud revealed in cybercrime, and cool tips for storing of your fridge food. They must be listening to this programme. We talked about that the other day. People thinking you could leave stuff in your freezer forever, whereas in fact you can't. They'll have stars on the front of your freezer, and it will take, if it's got three stars, that means three months. You know, a lot of the stuff in the supermarkets, it's deep frozen. It goes into, like, permafrost kind of situation. But uh, fridge food, I go through the fridge every week, turning out things which have gone past their sell-by, mainly because sell-bys are so short. You go and buy, check today. You go and buy something. You go, oh, I'll do that. And they go, uh, sell-by date, because today is the uh, 26th. You watch, it'll say sell-by date, 28th. So you suddenly remember, whatever you bought, you've got to eat it in two days. I kind of miss out on a lot of things like that. Uh, front page of the Telegraph. The six hardest working things in a fashion editor's wardrobe. I don't know what's supposed to... Listen, I've, I've never been a fashion editor or ever been a fashionista. So I've got no idea what's supposed to be worn as fashionable. When I was talking to one of my other producers the other day, he's slim. I mean, he's slim. So he's, he's very fortunate that whenever he buys shirts, he can, he can tuck them in. I haven't tucked a shirt in for the last 30 years. Seriously. 
Most people think I'm wearing a maternity dress. They've got no idea, you know, what it's like. I remember wearing a suit to um, to a nice do a while ago. I've worn a suit, you know, on, on a few occasions. And um, and, you, and you, sort of, you put on the suit and it's very nice. And you think, I can't tuck the shirt in. So I buy a black shirt and you just have it out. And nobody's ever said anything. But then your waist varies. So before you go to this do, because you know you're going to be eating, you sort of, you put the trousers on, which were fine last time you went, because you put on a bit of weight. This time round, you're constantly pulling your trousers up as they slip below your knees. Embarrassing. Getting away from it all, Theresa May with an army of people. Ridiculous. World Cup winning women earn place on Lord's Honours board. Good, which is good. Parents uh, denied the right to take Charlie home because I think... I think that the court will be deciding and I think that they will give the the decision to Great Ormond Street Hospital. If they don't think that Charlie Gard can be moved... Listen, they didn't want him going to America because I just don't think it's safe to move him. Let him go where he is. You know, they've been there, they know it. You know, all this, let's take him home to die. And what happens? So he dies within a few minutes and then, you know, it becomes like a, a media circus, which we know it will be. Uh, female MPs on the abuse they face is in front of the Guardian. We are completely vulnerable. And a picture of Diane Abbott, but I don't think she's top of the list. I think Boris Johnson, I know he's not a female MP, but I think he was, he was complaining how many uh, abusive texts he was getting. He gets loads of abusive texts. Oh, I've got to go, I've just realised. Um, 60% rise in unqualified teachers, say Labour. Uh, also, no sushi, top Japanese chefs test High street boxes, because you think you're buying sushi. Apparently, it might not be in a few uh, in a few instances, but I don't eat sushi. They tell me it's very healthy, but I'm really not. I'm just not interested in sushi. I don't know why. There's something, and we, we've got uh, two sushi places, takeaway places or sit-down places in Twickenham. And it's only small. Twickenham is only a little, tiny, tiny easy-bitty place. And, um, but if you go into the supermarkets, you can find sushi in the takeaways. So in Marks and Spencers, you'll find it. You can find it in Waitrose. And people go, oh, it's sushi. And I always go, oh, I always seem less than interested, I'm afraid. It's a bit bad. Now it's time to go. Now it's time to go. So we've got a free podcast for you this morning. Just go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk. Download that app, uh, which works for your mobile, your tablet, which means you never miss a moment. And you can download. And then you can find out about podcasting as well. This programme is available a little bit later on this morning when it will uh, be just the programme. So there's no... There's no ads, there's no travel, there's no news. The producer very cleverly. How? I have no idea. Takes everything out and then you can download it in keeping with thousands and thousands of other people. Thank you for that. Uh, Leading Britain's conversation at 10 o'clock this morning. It's James O'Brien. But coming up next, with breakfast, again, a lot to talk about with Nick Ferrari. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to Steve Allen live from 4am Monday to Friday and Saturday and Sunday from 5am.